Hello and welcome to Movies and Shit, right? Hey. Inaugural episode of a podcast that we have advertised on our website since the beginning, but have <laughs> zero content for. Yeah. Uh, but we're here. I, I'm, I'm one of your hosts. I'm Christian. With me, my co-host, Max. Hey, guys. What's up? All right. So listen, Max, Movies and Shit predominantly mm-hmm. movies inaugural episode not a movie we decided yeah. to skirt we're, that we're going with the shit we're going with the shit would you <laughs> is that your definition is that how sour you become on the the the, the show we're going to talk about today uh th- that's a good question um i you know i am not uh crazy about where the show is right now right. um but for reasons that we can get into later uh we can talk about the trajectory of the show and everything but like re-watching this first season of the show we're about to talk about has mm-hmm. really kind of like brought a newfound sort of love for it back for me anyways you know just kind of that warm feeling i got when i was watching it the first time i was like oh yeah the show can be really great Right. Yeah. I was saying the same thing. It was great to kind of go back with the perspective, like to have the benefit of hindsight and kind of like see things with new eyes and, and, and realize this was probably more tightly plotted than we gave it credit for early on. Right. Um, but which is also unfair. It's based on source material. But, but after saying all of this, let's reveal mm-hmm. the fucking show. Yeah, let's do away with the preamble here. Right. The show that we're going to be talking about is HBO's juggernaut fucking series, uh, Game of Thrones. Right. I was going right. to do like a joke there where I was like, Oz. Oz. Well, Oz is great. You got to pick something that like like vinyl. Is, you know, what you I mean? know when, you, when you think HBO, you think Oz. Oz That's the yeah. first thing. I go vinyl. I go John from Cincinnati. Carnival. Oh, John from Cincinnati. So lit. But yeah, no, Luke- Game, Game of Thrones. <laughs> this is what I'm, happens. I'm, yeah. yeah, I'm Where's My Burritoing It already. Um, yeah, we're here to talk about the first season of Game of Thrones. We're going to do a little thing called deep dive. That's kind of what this show is. Just deep diving into any subject that we want to. Uh, right. Could be a TV show, could be a movie, could be a musician for all I know. Who knows where this road's going to lead? But for now, it's season one, Game of Thrones. Yeah, and shit gives us a lot under the umbrella of what we can choose. <laughs> but, it really, really does. But uh, yeah, so here we are, uh, season one, Game of Thrones. And before we actually dive into it too much, I just want to talk about like my relationship with Game of Thrones and kind of how your relationship started with and stuff like that. Because here mm-hmm. we are, I believe it started in 2010. Uh, yeah. last season premieres April 14th, 2019. That's 2019. a decade of our lives for the most oh my part. God. I know it's crazy. Think about who Makes you me were feel old, man. <laughs> well, the truth is this, I don't feel like it's that old because my relationship with the show is I came to it very late as you know, right. um, because I, for some reason really hated on it because I wasn't a big swords and sandals guy, which is bullshit because I do like swords and sandal movies. But yeah. for some reason there was something about it that really didn't seem right to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I actively stayed away from it for so long and then finally kind of came to it because of a podcast, believe it or not. Yes, a podcast uh, kind of forced my hand into watching Game of Thrones because it was, uh, it was a, first of all, you ever had this when there's a podcast you really like, number one, and they go away for a few months and you're just like, oh, shit. And then they finally put that new episode out and you're like, oh, thank God, I've been going through withdrawals here. I actually um, do have one and it's called Where's My Burrito? Um, <laughs> it's a great show. I mean, those yeah. guys who run it, genius. Oh, man, those guys, they like went away for a few months. I was like, what the hell? Yeah, but all is right with the world. They've returned yeah, like Jesus. Yeah. Um, but this was a, a situation where they had gone on hiatus. <clears throat> the first episode back was a three-hour marathon of Game of Thrones, and I was personally fucking hurt because I'm like, I'm not going to get this. I don't want right. to waste my time with this. But and you've been waiting good, so long, and it's talking about some shit you don't care about. 
Right. Yeah. So at that point, I think I made the declaration where I'm going to watch 40 episodes because it was after season four had already aired. Mm-hmm. I'm going to watch 40 episodes of this in five days, all right, which I totally did. Burned my brain, all right? Oh my like, but that, I, that's how I fell in love with this fucking show, especially because I think the first four seasons, we'll get into debates on that as we progress on the show. But those are pretty fucking wonderful, amazing seasons, even season four, in my opinion. How did you kind of come to the show? Did you start from the beginning or were you late to the party as well? I was late to the party because like you, it wasn't so much a sword and sandals issue as an issue of I don't give a shit about fantasy. I was never a Lord of the Rings guy. I've never really read much fantasy fiction. It's just not my fucking thing. Um, And I kind of understood Game of Thrones to be that. It was like, oh, there's dragons in it and wizards and magic. And it's just going to be a bunch of fucking hobbit clones running around fucking things up. Even had fucking Peter Dinklage. And I was like, whatever. I don't need this Hobbit wannabe fucking, you know, talking about shit I don't care about. Anyway, long story short, eventually I watched it just because the cultural zeitgeist around it was just starting to really build to a fever pitch by season two, mid-season two. And I was reading um, this uh, website called AV Club, which does and still does uh, these weekly uh, TV reviews of episodes. And at the time, they were doing Game of Thrones for experts, people who had read the books, and reviews by people who had not, uh, which I thought was like a pretty interesting concept. And I just started reading one, and it was like way too interesting and confusing for me to not want to watch the show. So I finally gave it a shot. Um, Got up to uh, season two. Like as soon as season two was ending, I finally like worked my way through it and was pretty much caught up with the show. And the rest, they say, is history. You were hooked on it pretty much? Yeah, uh, there was a little bit more to that history. Um, I had not read the books. I didn't know where it was going. So I was like all on, well, I don't want to get into spoilers. I didn't know where it was going. And then I went to a party and this girl got very drunk. She had read all the books and started screaming out spoilers about everything that happens after uh, the point that everybody, like every show watcher was at. Okay, so in Game of Thrones tradition, did you did the, did we did we stone that fucking woman? <laughs> like, did we kill her? Like, what? Everybody was just like, "Shut up, Laura! Shut up! Shut the hell up!" <laughs> and she's like, Laura. "Rob Stark!" And yeah. everyone's like, "Dude, stop!" So, anyways, I I actually ended up reading the books after that because I was like, "Okay, I know what's gonna happen. I know like the bullet points here. I want to like see how we get there. I want to see how Martin gets into it." And right. that just ended up further enriching my enjoyment of the show. And like how they structure it, which I definitely want to talk about too. Right. No, absolutely. And that that's a big thing because I've read two of the books. You're you've read all of them. I cannot mm-hmm. even pretend to to be the expert on that. So I will defer to your knowledge on that at times. Because yeah. the book is written in POV for the most part. And indiv- individual chapters are through the perspective of different characters, correct? Right. Not in first person, but it is like from it's like the their point chapter. Of view. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Absolutely. So you'll have a Sansa or you'll have a Tyrion, whatever. Yeah. Which on paper sounds like an interesting and if somewhat easier uh, like idea of adapting because you're like, mm-hmm. well, okay, this is their little chapter. This is their little corner right. of the world. And so if we're going to cut between all these characters, at least it's easier to do that. Exactly. So it's interesting. And I'm, I'm going to ask you how it kind of pans out, but I think that's, that's a big preamble. I think we can probably jump into this. So I want to say beforehand, um, we're obviously going to be doing a deep dive into season one. There will be spoilers. So if somehow mm-hmm. you've lived under a rock and for the last decade have not watched Game of Thrones or you're just starting right now, Gonna uh, spoil the shit out of it. Do you, well, here, here's a question. Do you want to um, say like spoiler zone for every season after this as well? Or is it just spoilers for season one? Let's try to be very careful about 
doing that. I mean, at at times we might reference some stuff that happens in later seasons, but I want to try to keep it as season one centric as possible. Yeah, yeah. Let's just pretend like we've never seen season two at all. We don't know what we know. Right, because that that was one of the questions I wanted to ask you going into this is as a this is based on the first book and Martin had not planned out the entire series at the time that he wrote and released this book. Uh, This whole first season is an adaptation of just that book. Do you think that this first season works as its own standalone story? Uh, Yeah, definitely. I mean, there are some loose threads, obviously, but that's kind of the point. Like they were the things that were always supposed to kind of keep going on. I mean, it's in, in the truest sense of it being a TV show, right? Like if you mm-hmm. think about the first episode as a pilot, think about the first season as a pilot for the entire fucking series, right? Of what it's going yeah. to be. They have to set up so many things that are going to continue to go. And they do a really good job of that. I think um, I it could too. absolutely be self-contained though. I mean, the bad guys win sort of, and it's not good, but it's yeah. a lesson, which I think would be really bold if he had never made anything else. Think about the lesson he's telling you honor is for the fucking birds guys. And it gets yeah. you murdered. It feels like an entire like just polemic on the idea of black and white morality in general. Like right. he's absolutely a moral writer, but he's like pretty strongly falling against Ned Stark's approach to life. Right. And the Starks in general, like they get punished over and over for being, you know, which honorable. Is, which is really amazing. And, and that's something I do kind of want to touch up on as we get to it, because it's not like the Starks, like they, they, they get the lessons learned over and over, but they don't learn them lessons. Man. <laughs> like, which well, is the problem. It, it's like uh, Baelish said, you know, uh, Starks quick to anger, slow in the mind. Right. What was like, like, Baelish, <laughs> you sassy bitch. Like you what's the nail on the head? What's his backstory again? Like he's from he's from the the fingers or whatever. But like, is he mm-hmm. noble at all? Like, did he did he pull himself up by the fucking bootstraps? Li- literally pulled himself up by the bootstraps just through like cunning and like uh, amassing spies and everything, and right. eventually like wormed his way financially into King's Landing, and then becomes a lord. Yeah. Right. He's kind of a badass. I mean, yeah. I've said that for a long time. I know he's Surreal. evil. I can recognize game though. Okay. <laughs> Real rags to riches. He's he's a straight up G, literally an right. actual pimp. Um, so I think I think let's let's jump into it if you don't mind, because I do want to kind of go sequentially. We don't have to go like oh point by point, but there are some interesting things. And so I want to start sure. with the pilot. Pilot entitled "Winter Is Coming." Mm-hmm. Um, we've heard that a bunch, but this yeah. was before it was cool, right? Before the hipsters got it, yeah, co-opted it, and gentrified this shit. But right, and before I saw the show, I was like, "What do they have? They never heard of a fucking season? Like whatever." <laughs> right yeah again well and that brings me to the larger point before we actually jump into the episode specifically winter is coming uh is a pilot episode which has to do a bunch of fucking work and i've told you that i have always had a problem watching the pilot took me two or three times to actually get through that pilot okay yeah this is a discussion we had way back in the day like when you were still not sold on the show and i was like just get past the pilot it's Uh, it gets good and you're like i don't know <laughs> but, but the point is this I, I've come around on it more specifically yeah. though I think it's really amazing because I've said this as a point we are starting this story our first start is uh, our beginning but it is certainly not the beginning and that's what I really right. like about this story is we come in and all the relationships all the you know past histories all that stuff is predicated on this event that happened years before we ever came into the story which is what I love about right. it um, yeah. so what I was going to ask about that is fucking uh, is the amount of history that has to be 
you know, at least mentioned or, or briefly hinted at because you need, you get an understanding rather quickly that yes, this is a lived in world. There are already all these things. And so like, I remember having such a problem with this pilot initially watching it now. I'm actually like, man, they had a lot of fucking check marks they had to do and they did it. It's an exposition dump, but it's a necessary one. Like you, you need to establish like where this place is, what this place is, where they are politically, are they at war? Are they not? Right. Um, yes, yeah, so they're setting all that up, like the history with the Mad King and Robert's Rebellion and all of this crazy history. Right. That, and you get it in chunks. It's kind of really smart going back to it, seeing how they parse that out. Oh, yeah, dude, sure. absolutely. Like coming back to it now, I'm like, wow, this pilot's actually pretty good. I don't mm-hmm. know why we were all shitty about it, but it's like, yeah, it's a, you have to make that awkward first step so you can keep right. fucking going, man. And that's what they yeah. did. And, um, and when I was watching it initially, also like one of the things that was losing me was like we get not one but two but three like little kid actors, and I was like, ah, oh, fuck, fucking kids. Yeah, they are always yeah. the worst, but they kind of make it work. I mean, that to the credit of this show and those actors, sometimes, yeah. not always. Anyway, oh. <laughs> <laughs> listen. So my point is this: I wanted to talk about this as we go into it. Game of Thrones is two different shows put into one. Mm. There is this, you know, uh, grand, epic, uh, mystical, magical world, you know, the the colliding of good and bad, or at least that's our binary understanding of what it is. Um, And then there's this political intrigue, house of cards, backdoor deal, betrayal kind of sideshow that it also is. It's Um, it's like a really intense chess match meets um, fucking like Lord of the Rings mysticism. Well, and that's the, the well. I think that's what's fascinating about it. I think both of us would agree that where the show exceeds is when people are just sitting in rooms talking. <laughs> like that's yeah, that's really absolutely. where it's great. But that's not how the show starts, and that was so refreshing coming back to it because the first scene, as you know it, I believe they're showing some of the Night's Watch. They're they're going through a little tunnel. They're going beyond the wall, mm-hmm. um, and then uh, they come upon some slaughtered bodies. They're arranged in that symbol. And yeah. then we come upon a White Walker. And what I find interesting about that, and we've talked about it briefly on our other show, but it's just like, it didn't appear that they were far past the wall. Like there was just a White Walker chilling there yeah. waiting for them to come. They're like a few feet out. And I know, but like this shit. that changes everything. You know what I mean? Like that changes yeah. the entire, like the urgency. Listen, if, if people throw starts and they're already next to the wall, I'm like, dude, I get it. We ain't right. got time for this shit. They've set up a little ice village and everything. It's like, what are we talking about? Why are we wasting time here? Absolutely, man. So it doesn't really make sense to me, but I I get that they have to put that on front street. Like, hey, this is what the larger story is. We're going to tell the interpersonal stories before that, but hey, there's this fucking weird ice monster undead thing out there. Yeah. So they have to start with that. But I remember thinking like, oh, that's a good start, I guess. Mm -hmm. But it didn't hook me. It wasn't like a holy shit opening scene. You know what I mean? Right. It just felt like a Walking Dead clone at the time. I was just like, ah, whatever. Okay, gross. And then like the magic trick of the show is it kind of makes you forget that that scene even happened until they bring those White Walkers back way later. Right. And then you're like, what? Like it's a twist. (laughs) Like you've never seen these before. And you're like, wait, no. Come on, that, if, if this show has done made me audibly make that reaction so many times, to so be honest, many times. watching it, yeah, which is truly amazing, and I think it's it's such a an achievement in and of itself. But so we get the magic out of the way immediately, and then from mm-hmm. there we start meeting the individual families and their roles within the the, right. the kingdoms themselves. So we start in Winterfell with the Starks, which is. Uh, Again, coming back to it now, being so removed from the Starks being any part of the driving force of the story, okay? 
it's kind of a different show completely. Like that's yeah. the way I'm looking at it. I'm like, Oh man, all these dynamics are gone. 70% of these fucking characters are gone. Yeah. And just horribly like in horrible ways <laughs> and either that or they're scattered or like, they're not all there mentally or emotionally anymore. Like they've all been through such horrific shit. Like right. by the time that we're in season seven or eight now. Right. Um, but yeah, it's really strange. Like just seeing them all like happy and like, you know, they're all so young looking, which also makes me feel really fucking old. Yeah. Yeah. You know, no, those kids are, are way too little in that pilot, man. Yeah. <laughs> fucking like, Bran Stark age. is like five years old. I'm like, what the hell? I like that scene too, because you see like a bunch of dynamics in play. I love that uh, Bran can't shoot at all. And yeah. Arya just emasculates Arya the fuck out of him. <laughs> like, right. Like, <laughs> like this poor kid's going to be paralyzed. But before that, his sister already took his balls away in Winterfell in front of people, <laughs> which I loved. Just to add insult to injury. Right. Literal exactly. injury. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you, you see like the brothers themselves, you see the fi- the family dynamic. You also mm-hmm. see a, a little bit how Catelyn's real shitty about John. I mean, everyone, John Snow. Kinda, yeah. everyone kind of is shitty about John. It's weird because now again, your recent memories of the show, you're like, Oh no, Sansa and Arya, they really love him. And they're a close unit, even if they're right. duplicitous story arts and shit. But I, you go back and you're like, wait, people didn't really like him. Like Ned just let him go to the wall instead of have a conversation with him. You know what I mean? <laughs> Catelyn has that incredible scene uh, where, yeah. you know what I'm talking about? Where she's like, and I prayed that uh, he, as long as he made it through the night, I'd be a mother to him. And I'd give him, I'd give him a proper name. You know, that's mm-hmm. oh, so fucking amazing. Yeah, she sells the shit out of that. It's an um, amazing scene. And, and I just want to say like right on Front Street, something that I didn't realize the first time I was watching it, but something I definitely appreciate now is just the genius of the casting department in this show. Right. Um, for the most part, like there are a couple actors that are like, eh, that grew into the role. Like I think Kit Harrington uh, is not great at the start, um, but he kind of grows into it, and it's sort of appropriate for that character anyway because he's right. supposed to be naive and sort of like self-serious or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but for the most part, like Sean Bean, masterstroke, like he is exactly as written on the page. Catelyn Stark, same way. I was gonna say, I mean, for me anyway, and again, I've only read the first two, but the goddamn Lannisters are oh, the yeah. most, and I and I mean, every single one of those fucking mm-hmm. people is the. There's no one else born in the entire history right. of man who could have been those people, man. Right? Oh my god! Like the fact that Charles Dance plays the patriarch of that is incredible. But seriously, uh, I mean, yeah, seriously, I, I want to save my thoughts on that for later because we'll I have there. a lot to say. Um, but yeah, yeah, just uh, Cersei, uh, played by Lena Headey, I think is yeah. how you say it, and. And um, then uh, Nicolaj Castor Waldo, or however the fuck you say that Swede's yeah. name, or whatever he is, Norwegian, Danish. Swede, Danish. <laughs> Fucking like racist. One of those northern places that uh, I've never been to. Um, he's wonderful too. Um, and yeah. like, like I remember again, like going back to how I was feeling about the pilot when I first saw it. I thought his character played as such a like kind of douchebag rich kid stereotype. But mm-hmm. rewatching it now, like other than what he does at the end of this episode, he's not terrible. He's not terrible. Like I understand where he's coming from and why he's doing what he's doing now that I've gotten all the relevant information. Right. Well, I mean, he's always kind of the most interesting character out of that Lannister clan, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I mean, don't get me wrong. Tywin is Tywin. 
but we yeah. we know Tywin. Tywin isn't right. a static character. Right. Um, Jamie has the big transformation. Like even Tyrion. Tyrion's mostly like he's just a good de- guy in the beginning of this. Like yeah. I wish they had like a reverse fucking he's like just he's <laughs> completely upfront about being an alcoholic who bangs whores and his dad doesn't like him. He says it like so many times in the first few episodes. Right. Like okay, I get it. I get well, what you're about. Beyond that, though, he's always like morally upright. You know what I'm saying? He does yeah. the right thing, and I think that's because he's he hasn't he, he never he got empathy. To, well, he never got to relish in being a Lannister because right. he was always an outcast of that. You know what I mean? So even yeah. though he was the half man or the imp from the Lannister family, he was always a bastard in his own right. I think that's yeah. why him and Jon Snow really connect in later episodes. He's he's like rich, that. but he's also disenfranchised in his own way. Right. No, absolutely. Yeah. And so, but he that's the it. thing is that he is just good. So you love him. He's a fan favorite. But that's not the same thing as Jamie's arc. Jamie's arc is fucking amazing. And we really kind of right. get more into that in episode three. And I do want to go sequentially. So sure, we'll put sure. a pin in the, in, the, in the Jamie of it. But I am totally with you on that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think this is like, the, you know, the inciting incident in the entire series, because we have to talk about why these people are, why these houses are going to meet, right, to begin mm-hmm. with. Um, House Lannister has been married off in previous fucking events to the show. But uh, Cersei is is married to Robert Baratheon, the fucking king of the Seven Kingdoms, man. All right, because mm-hmm. Tywin, a strategist, he he knew he was going to get in that fucking throne eventually. All right, right. So, <clears throat> uh, John Aaron is the hand of the king in the beginning of this show. He is mysteriously falls ill. He dies. He's been poisoned. Uh, that is one of many inciting incidences, which is what I really like about this show is like, it isn't the one thing that happened. It isn't just one thing. Yeah. There's so many things going on. And again, knowing what we know now, we'll, we'll not say those things, but it's like, we know certain characters are responsible for the events of all of this, right? Mm -hmm. Which they had their own motivations that have fuck all to do with what's going on in this already. So I just, I think that that's like so phenomenal, but John Aaron is dead. This leaves a void. Uh, we know from from some exposition drops that uh, King Robert and Ned were very close. Ned helped him take the throne, right? Right. And and to be clear, like Robert's rebellion, Robert Baratheon, who is now sitting on the throne, who is commanding the seven, you know, states, loose right. states in this country called Westeros. Um, he is a relatively new king. Um, he took the throne just a couple of decades ago, but the person he took it from, the Targaryens, were this dynasty that had controlled the seven kingdoms with an iron fist for centuries right so this is like a a period of peace following a very seismic turn of events so it's a very big deal that everything is as it is now well again you're our resident westeros historian so my question to you is like was it all peachy keen before the mad king or was it i guess what i'm saying is like there's this whole allusion to danny's storyline that the people are whispering they want you back they want you right. on the throne but is that really true like was, was it all great before the mad king is what i'm asking it's complicated they say that the targaryens and just brief little targaryen history they are a family that had been in control for a long time and didn't believe in marrying outside of the family so they wed brother and sister on the reg and Half the time, they say it was like a roll of the dice or a flip of the coin. Uh, the progeny would either be uh, fiercely loyal and honorable and brave, or they would be absolutely insane and rotten to their core. So it was kind of like a, a real flip of the coin, what you would get in terms of the Targaryen ruler at that time. And the one that we had had, the last one, the Mad King, was rotten to his core. Started off as a good man and then became a completely evil 
uh, insane bastard who wanted to burn every resident in the capital. Right. But my question to that, again, is this is why I'm asking about previous rulers is because like you could be like, oh, he's a little crazy, but he wasn't burning people. And again, knowing what we know now, or at least what we theorize, it's like that may not necessarily have been his fault. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I'm trying to see. What was the severity of like, oh, you could be born a bad Targaryen. But what does that mean? You were lazy. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you didn't go out of your house. You were agoraphobic. Like, you know, you had fucking kinks. Like, what was the bad before this motherfucker ruined it for all future Targaryens? I don't think anybody was as bad as him. Like he was, he was like the apex of instability. Um, right. But you know, like these fuckers were riding around on dragons, burning uh, townsfolk. So they weren't exactly the nicest. <laughs> they did it family. one time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, just so, once. What's the big deal? Yeah, I mean, don't you have dragon insurance in this fucking world? Like it's a, it's a racket. I know, but it's, <laughs> it's better to need it or have it, not need it. You know what I'm saying? Anyway. <laughs> Um, so with, with this void, right. With mm-hmm. this, uh, this, this void, John Aaron is dead. King Baratheon kind of turns to the one person he knows is fiercely loyal to him. Right. You know, the one not, honorable man that he can trust. Well, they don't like expressly say that, but that's, mm-hmm. that's what it is. Like he feels, I feel like a little, uh, boxed in, in a weird way. And yeah. again, we, we find out when Ned actually gets to King's Landing, why he has those feelings about this thing that's happening on the other side of the world. But it's still like he's going to Ned because he's too proud to admit that he's fucking scared. But dude's a little scared. I -hmm. think a part of him also knows, I mean, he has to know something is rotten in in Denmark, as as it were. You know what I mean? Because the reason he went to Ned as a protector. Exactly. And like that's something we can get into with the later episodes that we talk about. But when you get to King's Landing, which is the capital where the king lives, uh, you understand kind of why he doesn't trust anybody but Ned or why he would bring in this like purely loyal, honorable man who he right. understands. Um, well, see, this brings me to that relationship in general, uh, mm. King Robert and Ned, because basically the king comes up, comes up to Winterfell, and uh, there's this great scene where Joffrey rolls in. By the way, it's like 25 minutes in. I forgot Joffrey was even a character that he just like right. struts up. And like you're like, ah, God damn it. He's incredible, man. <laughs> the He's kid like- from Batman Begins? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I mean, I love him. He's so wonderful, dude. Uh, and he just shows up and he's like immediately, like, again, genius casting. We talked about all the other Targaryens or uh, the yeah. Lannisters, but we did not talk about this motherfucker. Right. It was pitch perfect. Uh, but he, he strolls up and then the king gets there. And then you immediately, I, I forgot how much I loved Mark Addy as King Robert. That's the other thing. Oh, yeah, he's he great. He comes in and immediately kind of wins you over and you don't know how he's going to play it and he's joking and blah, mm. blah, blah, blah. But immediately you feel that, deep history between him and Ned. And then right. if that wasn't enough, the I think the next scene after Sansa gives Joffrey the fuck me eyes, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, is them in the crypts, the Stark crypts. And again, yeah. this is a pilot, man. And it's just like amazing how much they were able to set up in this first episode that would go on to be important afterwards. Right. Yeah, no. Um, uh, the one woman that King Robert ever loved was Leanne Stark, um, who was Ned's sister who died under circumstances that we'll get into way, way later. Um, But basically the idea here is that the king, who has brought along his wife, Cersei Lannister, um, is not in love with his wife. She does not love him. His one true love died decades ago. So like pretty much the best parts of Robert are left on the battlefield decades ago. And ever since then, he's been drinking and whoring and eating himself to an early grave. Right. There's a bunch of jokes that he's gotten really fat. I mean, yeah. it's cute, but it, but it says more about it. Like, I like the fact that we hear 
in in flashback or in in, in conversations about the good old times what mm-hmm. a fucking badass this guy was yeah but we only see the fat fuck version of robert which is right. hysterical to me <laughs> um and again when he tries to be a badass he's killed i mean but that we're going way ahead i'm sorry but you know what this I'm is saying. a complicated show guys i'm sorry <laughs> we're doing our best we are we are i apologize okay we'll see listen now we've got the lannisters and the starks in winterfell uh more importantly we have the baratheon uh kings there but you know she brings her whole squad mm-hmm. um so at that point show cuts we go to the other side of the fucking world man we go far 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 east we meet up with daenerys and what's his name viserys is that her brother yeah fucking hate that guy that's my first impression about that whole (laughs) subplot is like oh this motherfucker right because isn't the introduction scene that he's literally groping his sister yeah you have a you have a woman's body (laughs) like that scene it makes me feel gross even making fun of it which by the way at that point in the books daenerys is literally 14 years old i think Right. So just to add an extra layer of creepy to that incestuous whatever. Right. Yeah. But even in that scene, which again is mostly to show how she doesn't have agency. Cause I've, I've long said that the entirety of the show is just about, it, it's about two opposing forces about fire and ice. It's cliche mm. and stupid as that sounds, but it's about John assuming his fucking destiny and about Danny assuming her destiny. But on top of that, it's different because her story is about like females getting agency. You know right. what I mean? And which is like a really powerful thing. And again, in this pilot, something I did not appreciate at the time, but like a lot more now, is after she gets groped by her fucking brother or whatever, she goes into that like hot tub that they had prepared for her. Yeah, which is scalding, scalding hot water. Yeah, mm-hmm. dude. And like unburned. The woman yeah. freaks out, her like handmaiden or whatever. And so again, it's just like, oh, okay. Like mm-hmm. they did a really good job of like, okay, you know, great, great you little know, touch. You know. Yeah. And um, and the whole setup there is that her brother is uh he's a Targaryen. He's the progeny of the Mad King, who has been killed many, you know, a couple decades before. And he is making a deal to consolidate power and take back Westeros. Right. And he's in order to do that, he's going to sell his sister basically into slavery um, right. as like a child bride of this Dothraki warrior. Which are like nomadic indigenous people of the East. You know what right. I mean? Basically like every barbarian from history and lore all rolled into one group. Right. How did that play to you now? Because again, it's so interesting seeing the early dynamics of that season and how big yeah. of a role the Dothraki are going to play and then very quickly fall by the wayside <laughs> of that show. Um, right. Because I really like him. I think he's great in the show. And I think that I think it's a much needed... Are you talking about Momoa? Yeah, but, but I, th- I think the entire that entire race of people, the entire aesthetic, how it's so mm-hmm. visually different from the greys of Winterfell or the golden hour of fucking uh, King's Landing, you know? Yeah. It's very earthy. It's really, it's really, you know what I'm saying? It's yeah. got like a dirt feel to it. Um, and so I think it's a really important thing that we realize it for the world that we're building, <laughs> that it's not just like aristocratic people all hanging out. It's snowy aristocratic people. It's fucking beach aristocratic people. Like we need it right. in the other part of the world, you know? Yeah. Um, but that is the reason, and we kind of figure this out. This is that side plot. This is that thing that King Robert is really concerned with and I mean, it's mm-hmm. just the seed of an idea in his head but you know it's growing and it's making right. more paranoid and stuff it's like the that. idea that this dynasty could come back and threaten his his power beyond that though yeah. what i found interesting was like again i think he turned to ned because subconsciously he had to have known that he wasn't safe in king's landing that there was some kind of plot there you know what i mean right so it's interesting that he's projecting a lot more about these targaryens across the sea he's right by the way like danny mm-hmm. does eventually want to get her thrown and we'll get it by any means necessary you know what i right. mean 
But yeah. at the time, it's more him projecting about his own insecurity, I think, of, of the people around him rather yeah. than the person who's super fucking far away, which is, again, such a nice touch for that pilot. Yeah, no, like it, King Robert is, he's this kind of funny, jovial character, but like at his core, very sad, very insecure man who is barely holding on to the power that he has. So right. like the, this first episode especially is just really kind of giving you a sort of quick panoramic view of all of the different pieces that are going to start moving against him uh, by the end of the season, which is right. pretty cool. No, man, absolutely. And I think that the Dothraki stuff is so removed from the rest of the stuff, mm-hmm. but it's very important and a lot of subtle character moments are happening. And it's kind of, honestly, it's one of the most enjoyable parts because it's so largely removed from any of the uh, you know, actual plot mechanisms that are happening that have to progress things forward, you know? Like, yeah. you're watching just a political fucking battle between two families for most of season one. This other right. thing is happening, but it enriches, like, again, King Robert's decisions, conflicts between Ned and King Robert later on. Like, I just mm-hmm. think it's a really fucking good pilot, dude. And it's so yeah. weird that I've come around on it because I was so shitty about it for so long. Right. No, it just makes it seem like this really big, huge story with like all of this lore all over the place. Because like any writer, you know, like any fantasy writer would just make it about, you know, Ned and Robert or something like that. But like here you have this very panoramic thing that's already like introducing you to all these crazy characters, all these different families with all this history. And then on top of that, you got uh, this blonde girl getting sold into marriage. Right. You're like, what the hell is going on here? It's pretty, it's pretty crazy. Right. And they, they parse it out just in the right amount at the right yeah. time. And I think that's the best part of it. So uh, after we get the Dothraki introduction and Danny's circumstance and Viserys being a creepy fucking weirdo, uh, mm-hmm. I, I believe we cut back to Winterfell. And what's interesting about this is that John, because we, we had a whole scene earlier about the Starks and we kind of introduced their dynamics, but we saw John in the periphery. When we cut back to Winterfell, those scenes are largely about John. I mean, everyone's getting fucked up and drunk, and we see that Robert's not really faithful to Cersei and all that other shit. Right. But, but I believe Benjen comes there at that mm-hmm. time. So he knows Benjen's over Night's Watch. John wants to kind of go to the wall. At the same time, he meets Tyrion for the first time. A little bit confrontational, but at the same time, you can tell that there is a weird kinship. Right. The two. Because to- Tyrion is saying everything to him that everyone else is thinking, but Tyrion's actually saying it and right. being honest with him about it. It's kind of yeah, great. Tyrion might be the fucking that's goat. Well, they're all good is the point. Like that's what's <laughs> really amazing about this. And again, so much credit needs to go to Martin and not necessarily Benioff and D.B. Weiss, even though I think they're mostly good. Mm-hmm. It's just that like, look, these characters were so goddamn well written. They weren't just like you know, archetypes of the, he's the honorable guy. You know what right. I mean? Like they actually flesh them people out. Tyrion is a good person. He's absolutely flawed. Yeah, man. He's yeah. drinking himself to death. He fucks whores all the time. But, but as he says, you know, like wear it like armor, you know, right. and then nothing, nobody can hurt you. Right. Do you think they did a, an equal, because um, again, that's the balancing act. The two people who will lead the show into the end are auxiliary characters at best in the beginning. Because right. they, have, they have to spend so much time with the Lannisters and Ned and Robert and blah, 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 right? But right. They, they still give enough face time and these individual character moments to both Danny and John in this pilot episode. And it's a crowded fucking episode, dude. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's great. Um, John, John kind of being an outsider is not so much an audience surrogate, but he's somebody that you sort of want to follow because he's like the, the young, uh, foolhardy kid who wants to prove himself. And it's like it's something to latch on to right away. Right. Um, 
I just don't think his performance is that great in the start. That's like one of my big beefs with this pilot sure. or casting. But I think Kit Harrington definitely grows into the role as it goes. He's not a great actor compared to like, because he's alongside people like Peter Dinklage and alongside Who are people good. like Charles Dance. Yeah. Like, I mean, Charles fucking Dance. He's never yeah. going against Charles Dance, but holy shit. Like, that's, like, that's the best example of the pedigree difference. Exactly. And like when the show would cut like from King's Landing with Charles Dance doing literally anything, standing and breathing <laughs> to like John being like, I'm not a steward, I'm a ranger. It's like, I don't give a shit. Right. Back to Charles Dance. Jesus Christ, you fucking amateur. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know, it, it all serves a larger purpose. Like every piece of information you get, every scene you get, no matter how uh, sometimes not great, serves a larger purpose down the line. And it absolutely. enriches your watch through as you go later. For sure. Um, yeah. So do we want to talk about the incest elephant in the room here? Well, here we go. I was just going to say a couple expositional things very quickly, which is that, you know, Ned is made Hand of the King, which we kind of knew was coming, but it was mm -hmm. formalized when King Robert kind of talks to him about it. Um, Ned doesn't want it. Right. Uh, Catelyn does not want him necessarily to take it. But mm -hmm. again, we are bound by honor, which is this is the first time of a recurring fucking theme that we're going to have about, you know, people doing things that are one, either not what they want to do or against their best interests or against their safety. Right. But they end up doing it because honor plays such a giant role in this world. And right. Kind of because love that this decision, him leaving his family means that he's going hundreds of miles away from his home. Winter, right. the literal season of winter in this show lasts for way longer than it does in our world. And right. it's coming and he's in the North and he's leaving all of that behind to go to what he sees as a den of crooks and thieves in King's Landing to serve his alcoholic fat best friend. Right. <laughs> but he's got to do it. He's got to do calls, it. The king beckons and the fucking hand comes. Right. All right? He fucking shows up. Um, all right. So that happens. And before we get into the, to the twin cest of it all, because mm -hmm. yes, that's the inciting incident. But before that, and I forgot this until I watched the pilot, which is we get a raven in Winterfell at that moment, which mm -hmm. kind of has this information that Catelyn immediately burns this fucking thing. It's from the Eerie, right? Uh, right. It, it, it's from, it's from Liza, Aaron, fucking freshly widowed. Okay. Her sister. Yeah. She has a note. She's accusing the Lannisters of having poisoned him or at least been involved with the killing right. of John Aaron, which is important because uh, they picked <laughs> the worst time to get caught fucking each other is my point. Because right. if that wasn't already in the periphery, like out in the wind for people to grab, like mm -hmm. maybe they could have gotten away with this. But too much smoke, Lannisters. What the fuck are you doing here? Right. You know? Just cover um, your goddamn tracks. So that scene happens, and at least that like the, the that idea is cemented within the narrative of the show. There's and then like, not hey, long after, probably that, shouldn't trust these guys. And it's right. like enough already that they're like rich and assholes, right. like from the jump. But now it's like, oh, maybe they murdered this guy. Well, <laughs> well something's going on, right? Yeah. And again, it's interesting because you don't see anything. Like that's the magic trick of that first pilot. And I and I do know that the story goes that they filmed another pilot of Game yeah. of Thrones before. And apparently, it was terrible really bad different danny but more importantly and this is the whole reason i'm bringing this up when bran is climbing that tower and mm -hmm. we we hear the fucking sounds of people having sex or whatever and then he sees it that is truly a shocking moment if you didn't already know what was happening you know what i mean you're like right. oh shit 
Yeah. Apparently in that original pilot, they got to that scene and no one knew they were related. Like, which is the crux of that whole, like, why would he push a kid out? Like, well, the things right. I do for love, you know what I mean? So um, they, they did a much better job, obviously, because you're like, okay, well, they're oddly close, but whatever, you know, they're both mm-hmm. blonde. Blonde people kind of stick together in this yeah, fucked right? up world, man. But, um, but no, so, so Bran climbing a tower sees them having sex, fucking Jamie grabs them and you're just like, well, what are they going to do about this? Uh, right. Well, they push that motherfucker out and he falls hundreds of feet. Right. Bad and I love that Cersei never says straight up, kill that kid. Yeah. She's, she's just like, like he hey, us. He, he saw us. <laughs> and he's just like, ah, the things I do for love pushes right. him. And uh, then end credits. And you're right. like, oh, shit. Well, what's going to happen? Which, next? again, that's the big fucking moment, right? Because mm-hmm. you're like, okay, well, now these two are diametrically opposed. And on top of that, they're already suspicious of the Lannisters. Like, right. that's the interesting thing. The Lannisters aren't as fucking slick as they think they are, at least not mm-hmm. the kids. Like, Tywin's a badass. Like, he doesn't right. do anything wrong for the most part. Yeah. Um, it's always very uh, Terminator calcula- uh, calculated risks and shit like that. Right. But um, so these people are kind of fucking in hot water in the beginning. You know, this isn't something that's necessarily going to like end well for anybody. Um, one more note on the pilot episode, which is we also get the first appearance of Jorah Mormont and uh, the dragons. Yeah. Those are important. I think those are both mm-hmm. really important to the mythology. So I wanted to mention them. Yeah. You get Sir Friendzone and you get <laughs> the dragon X. Sir friend zone. But again, they do a good job of explaining uh, some world, uh, uh, some events that happened beforehand, which is really important. And um, it's something they talk about throughout the series. Like, I like that Ned Stark long gone in later seasons, but it's still such a driving force of what drives a lot of these characters. Jorah does not hate Ned Stark for having been exiled. You know what I mean? He clearly hates himself. Like it's it's not said, but it's d- uh, there in yeah. every interaction. No, ab- yeah. Absolutely, but it, that's what makes the character so much fucking better. <laughs> like mm-hmm. even though, and we'll get into this in the next episode, not necessarily altruistic in his actions, right? So right. that's the pilot of the first episode uh, of Game of Thrones. Winter is coming. Uh, what do you think now? Just give me a quick summation. We went through everything individually. Mm. Again, I was so surprised at how fucking coherent and well put together and how much they set up in one episode while still being at least semi-entertaining no it's something that you appreciate uh, much more having seen where all of this goes and where all of these people go and there is just on like a pure just on the basis of loving these characters in the way that i do because i really you kind of grow to really appreciate and care about these people it's kind of really nice to just see them all as a family it's like traveling back in time before all the bad shit happened. We'll see. And um, that is actually a perfect segue into the episode two, which is called the King's Roads. Okay. Yeah. Because my biggest note from it, and there's a lot of other things that happen. You know, we, we cut back to Danny. Danny gets some Dothraki mythos, which I actually really like. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There's like a scene where they're just like, no, the sun and the moon, they're together. <laughs> or whatever, whatever. That's cute. All right. I don't give a shit. It's, right. it's, it's sort of important, but not really important. Um, we get that. But I think one of the bigger things uh, that we get out of that is that this is the last time the Starks are all together right. <laughs> ever, man. And it's like, mm-hmm. again, so crazy to think that this is a show largely about them but largely about all their individual arcs like the starks mm-hmm. as a unit where you think with the lannisters the lannisters are kind of a tight-knit community with the exception of that's not true i guess jamie and Tyrion both have amazing arcs that are separate completely from the yeah. lannister family but you know what i'm saying maybe joffrey and and uh <laughs> And, and and Cersei because well but that's the one thing about Cersei you got to give her credit for this if nothing else as Tyrion does later on she loves the children you know what I mean yeah 
That's absolutely and, shown. And there's there's a scene, and I think it's the very first scene in season five, and I'm not going to talk about what it is, but it's a scene that completely recontextualizes her character. Right. Um, it gives you information you didn't have before, and going back to it now, you're like, yeah, she's awful and evil, but you understand her. Right. And that's the beauty of it. It's like there, there are very few characters that are completely one-dimensional um, by the end of the show or the end of their arc. Right. Like you either get new information or they grow or both. Right. I've always said that the, the key to a good villain is you need to make them sympathetic enough that you can understand why they would be acting this way. You don't have to right. sanction any of the actions, but you have to be like, man, it must be really hard to fucking, you know, and I'm not going <laughs> to spoil it because we'll get there eventually, but you know what I'm right. saying? So I think they do a really good job with her. It's also interesting quickly before we move completely on how sort of restrained Cersei seems in that first episode. Like she's still mm. all about the formalities of being regal right. and royalty and shit. After a certain point, she's just like, eh, fuck it. I'm oh, not even going to She's just drunk all the time. Yeah, yeah it's amazing. <laughs> it's just like cougar town, just fucking. Oh, it's so good. Getting hammered as fuck. Um, oh, so let me tell you about this quickly. This is in King's Roads because I tell people all the time, there are two moments where I actually got hooked to Game of Thrones. One of them mm. is true and it's in the next episode, so I'll save it. The other one is what I say for comedic reasons, but it, you know, it might be true now, which is uh, Tyrion wakes up after a hard night of like drinking. With a bunch a of dogs. <laughs> yeah, right? Bunch of dogs. And he just smacks the shit out of Joffrey. Not once, not oh, twice, but my thrice. God. I would watch that fucking show <laughs> all day, man. And that really was the moment where I'm like, okay, this show has something yeah. for me. If well, that, that was the very first thing I ever saw from that show. It was just a gif of Peter Dinklage smacking the kid from Batman Begins. And I was like, what is this? Maybe I should watch it. But then I was like, no, nah, I don't like fantasy. Cross right. my arms. I'm glad I fucking got over myself. <laughs> right. Sometimes we're pretentious assholes when we don't think we're being pretentious assholes. But uh, yeah. this is one of those times where I'm happy to eat my words because the show yeah, is same. Same, 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 same. Um, um, right, so I, I, I do want to say from the jump, this is probably my least favorite episode of the season, but it's right. necessary. It's just one of those table setting episodes where not a lot of interesting shit's happening. Sure, but I also think that it has a couple interesting things. For instance, the scene that I really adore in this episode is there's a, a moment of tranquility, honestly, on mm. the King's Roads. Robert and Ned sit down, yeah. and he's like, oh, this is the best country. I should move up here. <laughs> like that or whatever. And, uh, Sick impression, by the way. <laughs> thank you, bro. I really appreciate it. Uh, but they sit down, and it's actually really nice because, again, you realize that these guys are just – fucking homies like it, it yeah. would be the same as if like something fucked up happened and we right. lived in a monarch world and you took over and then 30 years from now we can look at us as young men and the the strife that we went through or whatever you know right actually really pretty and i liked it um and, but in that and episode, um robert also brings up in that conversation to ned about um ned uh having a, a little thing with a, a woman Right. And Jon Snow um, being the product of that. And Absolutely. how Ned doesn't want to talk about it and feels terribly guilty about it. Well, again, and this should have been, and I don't want to spoil too much from later on, but again, mm. benefit of hindsight, but not even then. We know who Ned Stark is almost immediately. He's an honor-bound man to a, right. the umpteenth degree. And so, yeah, the show plays it as Jon Snow, and maybe that's why he treats him so, you know, arm's mm. lengthy or whatever, but he treats him as his shame. But yeah. we, but but we know that he's such so honorable that it's weird that we ever for a second were like, oh, he fucked up. You know what I mean? Right. Like he's just a good dude. So it's interesting, and even the moment plays very interestingly as well because uh, you know we know what we know, but at the time we're left to infer like, oh, this is not some happy subject. 
this was not a good time. You know, we could never have guessed what it actually was, but whatever it is, it wasn't great. And we can tell that by how he treats John now. But again, just so bound by honor. I wrote down in my notes, literally, Ned is a fucking boy scout because like, He's too good. We don't deserve him, man. Well, I do love that part. Like after King Robert's like pressing him on, like, what did she look like? And he's like, I'll never tell you. And he's like, you would have hit me by now if I wasn't king. And he's like, that was the worst thing about your coronation. <laughs> I I'll mean, never I hit just, you again. Would have watched those guys like on a hunting trip or like right? if just they a buddy ex- cop movie. Well, if they would have done the entire like uh, Varys and Tyrion going across the sea but they did it in real time and just had those right. guys making just jokes the whole them. seven seasons was them on the king's road just hanging out and getting <sighs> drunk <amazing>. getting <laughs> in trouble they're doing a travel show and shit oh man right so fucking good. just reviewing um, different wines <laughs> well the problem is he's a fucking lush she doesn't care what the wine tastes like as long as it gets the job done man right um, but I, that's what I mean. Like there are a couple important pieces of information and scenes that do happen. And I love that scene because again, we don't get much of that, you know, like the show, mm-hmm. again, the dynamics are so different because people aren't there much longer. Um, a couple of interesting things they do is I like that Tyrion and he's, he's kind of like a, uh, like a, a mouthpiece for everyone in the world. Cause we hear it from different characters later on, but does not believe in white walkers, like white walkers, right. which we saw on page one of this book, <laughs> um, are not believed to be real or maybe they were real long ago, but certainly not around. Yeah, this is something that happened hundreds of years ago. Um, so like there's some question of whether it happened or not. Right. And that's what, that's, what's interesting because again, we like, Tyrion, we think he's a smart guy but we also know immediately that he's wrong you're, <laughs> so wrong. It's like, you're infallible or you're not infallible you know what i mean right. like so immediately you have to kind of put him on suspect you know he means well but he's not necessarily right about everything right and, and to be clear Tyrion at this point is on the road going to the wall with john who is about to basically sign his life over to right. the night's watch which is a bunch of bunch of homies who stand on a big old ice wall and get snowed on Right, but it's interesting the way the world views the Night's Watch, by the way, because they mm-hmm. look at them as like criminals or poor people, people who couldn't get, a, get either were punished or couldn't get on in the world otherwise. Right. Um, but the, the way the Night's Watch see themselves is much different, right? They're the protectors. Right. Like, they have this whole fucking beautiful... Yeah. <laughs> what's the chant? What's the, what am I talking about? It's not a chant. What is it? You know what I'm talking about. Like, uh, um, like a don't lyric, like the cold. a motto, what is it a creed. They say? <laughs> you know they say stuff is the point but my point mm-hmm. is that they're they're like actually an honorable group but it's sad because uh even what oh Alistair and so Thorne, my watch begins yeah there we go that's what i'm talking yeah, about yeah. there it is but 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 everyone there is kind of disillusioned like alistair thorne is very disillusioned he doesn't really i mean he knows what's right. actually out there but he's it's like a goddamn disappointed parent <laughs> because yeah. he's not getting effort out of his people you know well i think it was my favorite moment in the entire episode um is when Tyrion is sitting by the fire with Jon snow because Tyrion is just going there out of curiosity to see the wall which is like this huge fucking well, to, crazy to wonder the of the world to piss off the wall yeah. um and he's traveling there with benjamin stark who is a longtime ranger in the wall like he's a brother of ned stark and there's just a part where uh Tyrion is talking about like how the wall like fucking sucks and it's like it's a lonely life and it cuts to just one shot of Benjen who's like staring at the fire and just looks completely solemn and sad and empty and it cuts to like John looking at him and then Tyrion and for the first time like kind of considering the weight of what he's doing and it's just one shot it's not commented on but I thought it was really nice 
No, no, it's it's really good. I mean, that's what I'm saying. There's a lot of subtleties about that. It also makes me want to know so much more about Benjen, who right. I think is in the books way more, but is so barely in this fucking show. I mean, is he not in the books that often? He's not. There's not too much more. Like the 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 first season is pretty much the entire first book, and they obviously condensed a fair amount. But Benjen is not um not elaborated on that much more. You don't right. know too much about him. You just know that like he's a sad guy who does what he has to do oh because there's speculation that he's going to come back right in the books like as he came back in the show but that's not confirmed in the writing right right so there is a character called cold hands in the right. books um but there's no confirmation that that's benjen stark you just know that benjen disappears well i've seen there's some notes apparently on one of the manuscripts that he was writing where he appears and like you see handwritten notes and he's like benjen question mark and he says no exclamation point. so <laughs> Well, you know, I right. guess my point is he had a moment where he's like, oh, maybe this is him. And he and chose like, the other nah. path. <laughs> Interesting. But right. um, yeah. So, okay. A uh, couple more things I'm going to talk about very quickly. Uh, fucking. They kind of set up a lot expositionally that even though they have beef with each other, that the plan is to have uh, Joffrey marry Sansa. Mm-hmm. Like that's the plan anyway, that we let's right. connect our families. Like we, we can still make it happen. I like that right. King Robert does not think for two seconds of anyone wants that. He's just like, Oh no, we'll connect our families. <laughs> I can do it. You know what I mean? Like, and everybody else is like, what? Like, All right. Yes. So, yeah. So we have that. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because we get that scene where Arya already showing who she, she kind of is, which I do like again, subtle things they did. Sansa is such a like prim and proper kind of like, I'm a lady. Uh, mm-hmm. And then she's over there sword fighting with the butcher's boy by the river and, you know, right. real tomboyish, but again, true to who she is. And then we get that scene where Joffrey's trying to be a piece of shit and mm-hmm. picks on the fucking boy. And then Arya kicks his fucking ass. And then uh, who's, who's the, who is it? Lady? No, not lady. Who? Uh, uh, Nymeria. Nymeria. Yes. Nymeria yeah. ends up attacking Joffrey. Joffrey's like, right. <laughs> which is, I think something we skipped over, but very briefly, I'm sorry if we didn't skip over sure. it. And I just missed it. Um, all of the, these, like one of the first scenes is that the children each get a dire wolf, which is the house animal or house sigil of right. their house, Stark house, Stark. So like each child gets their own dire wolf pup. And, uh, that's where we are with it. So yeah, like, we, we, Nymeria we, we, and Lady, yeah. We really fucked it up, but it's an important scene because, again, they find these these pups, these cubs, and mm. they're going to kill them. And it's right. John fucking Snow to the rescue. Right. Like, There's six, six, six stocks, you know what I mean? Yeah. And somehow- Also, good amount of foreshadowing and symbolism that the dire wolf mother is this corpse and the children are trying to feed off of her and she's dead and right. it's been killed by a stag, which is the symbol of House Baratheon. Right. Wow. I didn't even crazy. know that. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess they do establish it because the antlers are like there still, right? Or yeah, like it's like in, inside the direwolf mother. Right. So like each of the direwolves throughout the story represent the children and their journey. They take on the attributes of the children, um, sure. which is interesting. But again, I think you said it, which this is like the least interesting of the early episodes because really the big moment here is that they killed the dire wolf. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? But but it's there as a larger point to show, one, yeah. that Cersei is fucking petty as fuck. Then mm-hmm. she, she will do things just to hurt people. It shows that Robert Baratheon's kind of fucking fed up and is just beaten down by life somehow. Right. To the like, point that he's, yeah, he's just like, whatever, kill the fucking animal because this dire wolf like bites Joffrey. They can't find it. So they just kill Sansa's dire wolf who had nothing to do with it. Right. Um, and it's, um, it also establishes that Ned Stark is fully realizing like what he's gotten himself into. Like this yeah. is, 
you know, just from the jump, not a great situation for him and his family. Right. No, absolutely, dude. I'm with you. Um, I think that that is one of the uh, really enlightening scenes. If you wanted to point at any one of those early Stark Lannister kind of conversations, be like, oh, mm-hmm. this is not going to end well for anybody. You know, <laughs> even for Ned, because there's the in that part, Ned's like, is this your is this your order? You know what I mean? When like right. Robert's walking away, and you're like, come on, dude. Right, but you know, to Ned's credit, he still swings the sword, carries out the sentence, just like in the first episode. He's like, if yeah. someone's going to do it, I'm going to fucking do it. I'm going to kill it, this dog. Again, it's the honor. Dog wolf. Yeah. The honor fucking part of it, which is so interesting. goddamn honorable. Oh At my the God. end of this episode, is it, am I fucking this up? Yeah, hold on. Okay, yeah, so we completely skipped over this in episode two, but this is when they try to make a, an attempt on Bronn's life as he's sleeping. Right. So Bran, um, and this is another huge inciting incident. Bran right. is asleep or par- not asleep. He's in a fucking coma, coma because he's fallen off of a very high tower and a man with a knife uh, comes into his room to kill him and his dire wolf stops it and rips the guy's throat out. Also, uh, MVP of that whole scene, Catelyn Stark, who fucking holds a goddamn blade as yeah. the assailant is trying to kill her son. I mean, it's kind of badass, man. Yeah. No, um, what, what's that actress's name? Because she does a lot with a pretty unforgiving role. Like that, that character would be pretty easy to dislike for the decisions that she makes throughout the show. Right. But she continues to just be pretty fucking likable. I told you that lady, um, she fucking, her next acting role was in uh, 24 and she played a British terrorist. And I was like, holy oh shit. God. I thought you were going to tell me it was like some like sex comedy, like National she, Lampoon or something. Oh, that would be hilarious. No, she really made it work. Her, her name's uh, Michelle Fairley. Is her there name. it is. Yeah, Michelle Fairley. Um, yeah, okay. she does a, a really wonderful job in that episode as well. But uh, the, the big thing there, and I think maybe they explain it more in episode three, but it's that the assassin's blade is kind of lit. <laughs> like it's right. Valerian steel. It's made out of dragon bone. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No way some random peasant, as this guy appeared to be, um, was was the assailant. Right. So there's something larger at work here. And we already know uh, that, you know, the, the circumstances of Brand's fall weren't exactly accidental. Right. Um, but yeah, only other thing I wanted to mention about that episode, I believe it's the one, it's not that crazy. Well, it kind of is, um, where Daenerys actually starts to... Um, try to find ways to please Cal Drogo, right? Right, yeah. So, so this is like the beginning of when Daenerys, who starts off as an extremely passive character, passive to the point that she's letting her brother grope her and sell her into marriage slavery, um, is already starting to like get a mind of her own or a will of her own right. and wants to take some ownership or control in this new relationship or situation she's in. Because up to this point, we're pretty much watching rape on yeah. camera every time oh, yeah. they have sex it's fucking yeah. horrific like, like that to the was point the where she's I, like crying while he's yeah right she's just well, staring at the dragon eggs which i came back to this time knowing it was there and was like somehow way more fucked up about it this time than i was yeah. originally and yeah. um again it's um, because maybe we we got comforted by like oh but she changes him it's like right. it doesn't matter <laughs> like the, yeah that is horrible but again the larger point is like you said it's agency. It's her mm-hmm. finally kind of getting her own way in a situation right. where she should be powerless, but she isn't, you know? And it, and it happens, that change happens a lot faster than I remembered, but it's still believable. Right. It still works for me. Because by um, the end of episode two, isn't it like already, she's already, like, she tries to come into the tent and just like throw her down and she's yeah. like, no. <laughs> and, like, yeah, she's him. like, no. And he's like, what the fuck? And, she, and it's a little scuffle. And then he's right. like, oh shit, I like this. Yeah. <laughs> That's what he says. He looks right at the camera. Just says, like, oh shit, I'm into this, y'all. 
Not even a Dothraki in perfect. The King's English, if you and will. And then it just ends in a title card. Aquaman will be right. out in 2018. <laughs> um, Aquaman um, will return. So um, that brings me to episode three, if I may. Yeah. Which, Lord uh, Snow. Lord Snow, exactly. And listen, remember earlier I said, hey, Tyrion slapping a kid is what got me, <laughs> got me going on this show. That's actually false. The true... The true moment that the show really got me, I think, because mm-hmm. it, it started to be what it was. Yeah. At the beginning of this episode, uh, Ned has now arrived in King's Landing, goes yeah. into the throne room, and who is there? Jamie fucking Lannister in the uh, the most baller goddamn armor you've ever seen, by the way. I just mm-hmm. really love his armor. Um, Isn't and, he sitting in the throne? I'm trying to remember. Or oh. he's sitting next to it, right? I think he's or he's next in to it. it. I don't think he's. I don't think he's sitting. Okay, because because for a little historical context, the reason that that's so important for Ned to be walking in and seeing Jamie Lannister is because immediately after Jamie killed the Mad King, which is something we should really make clear, Jamie killed the Mad King, and is wearing the shame of that, even though he's an evil bastard, like right. for the rest of his life, stabbed the king in the back even though you sworn to protect him. Well, and that's my point about this entire scene, which is what I love about it, is that we get the introduction of that whole story. But go ahead, I'm sorry. Um, Well, the the thing is, right after he had killed the Mad King, uh, Ned walked in and saw Jaime Lannister just chilling on the throne, covered in blood, and like saying like, oh, hey, it took you long enough, pretty much. Right. So like, that's Ned's impression or association of Jaime. So like him walking in again, it's just like him reliving that moment. So right. Ned Ned hates this guy because he's every, he's against everything that Ned stands for. Again, There's quickly no honor before, in stabbing a man in the back. But yeah, but again, before we go forward, I just want to point out again because I'm shaky on the history of this. Tywin only joined Robert's Rebellion after he kind of knew what the outcome was going to be, right? He like did right. that purposely just so he could have an end to the fucking throne, correct? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So my point is this, we get into the first scene of this and this is Ned and Jamie kind of having at it and they're having that talk and you get the kind of revelation that there is some shame associated with this thing. Mm-hmm. And again, it's like, look, if the show ends any other way, but the way that we know the show has to end for Jamie, it'll be for fucking bullshit. It'll be so, it's such a false note because they set it up almost immediately with him that this is his greatest shame. Um, and the true bittersweet irony of things he might have to live up to that name for altruistic reasons and still be considered a fucking dishonorable human being which is like so sad to me you know but in this specific instance like we are seeing the polar opposites like we are seeing not just the starks and the lannisters analogs for both of them but just the idea of honorable like Mm -hmm. honor bound to honor would never do something Ned stark would never stab a man in the back ever Except, sorry, I just remembered this. <laughs> Spoiler alert, we go forward in time later. And like, yeah, absolutely. That's the whole point, you know, mm-hmm. that no one's perfect. And I think that's like a really big part of that show too is when we kind of find out that like this whole idea of being honor bound was kind of a faulty premise to begin with, you know? Right. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. We'll get to it in good time. Um, little details of that scene that I love other than the history lesson. And I think I said this to you before. Mm-hmm. Uh, he talks shit about his armor being like so perfect and like not scuffed up, not scratched right. at all. Later in this episode, I think we meet uh, Barrison Salmi and he's got the exact same fucking armor on, but scuffed, but up. scuffed up. And I'm yeah. like, God damn it. What a great attention to detail. Right. Like it makes all the yeah, difference. Barrison Salmi, this great warrior. And then Jamie Lannister who's basically like the rich kid with the silver spoon in his mouth or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, but see that scene uh, married with the next scene, which is the introduction of both Varys and Littlefinger, is yep. the shit. Because again, yep. just put people in the fucking room talking to each other, man. This is this right. is what the show is meant for. This is um, where the chess game really starts, because these are the fucking people moving the chess pieces right here. Right. This is this small council 
um, where the hand spends most of his time is right. where he operates. He's like taking care of all the, the minutiae of uh, fucking leadership while the well, kid see, goes I've... off and gets fucking plastered. Right. Yeah. He's just on autopilot and everyone else has to do it, you know? Um, but I love the various little finger scene one, because those two are, they're fucking married. Like they, they should be, they're perfect Mm -hmm. for each other in terms of like, they're both, they really are the Bert and Ernie of the show. (laughs) I wish they spent more time together. I mean, the few times they are together in the show, it's like magical. Like every, it's magnetic, the chemistry. Oh my God. But, um, but, the, but who they are as characters. And again, we don't get much of Varys or Littlefinger in terms of their actual motivations. You get hints of it from both of them. Right. But they're very similar. You also get Pycelle. Let's not forget that old piece of well, shit. Well, I was getting there, that fucking liar, <laughs> that, that, that fake AARP motherfucker. <laughs> um, no, but I, I just like that those two are so complimentary. They're both people who came from nothing. They're both people who aspire for much, much more. They have their eyes on the prize, as it were. And it's really great that in that moment they can kind of like they see each other for who they are which is like we're both buying for the same fucking thing like right. I, I see you i'll tip my hat to you but at the same time like you're an opponent and i love that right. kind of contentious relationship that they have because it's always about like serving other people's interests that's the mm. thing about the small council is like eh, robert's not really being served here <laughs> like right. everyone is serving themselves under the guise of, of the the crown Right. And this is kind of where you start to understand why Robert is bringing Ned into the mix. And it's a mistake to bring Ned into this mix because Ned, Ned doesn't operate like in this world well. Um, but he's bringing him in because this world is being run by Varuses and Baelishes and Pycelles. This mm-hmm. is a world that's being run by people who talk out of the corner of their mouths and then plot. Right. And that's sort of what you start to realize, even if you don't know what these dudes are up to, like you very quickly understand that like there's a lot more going on here that the king is not aware of, that we're not aware of yet, and right. that Ned most certainly is not equipped to deal with. And I think one of the driving forces they're really trying to kind of uh, put forward in this episode specifically is just to further show that there is a bunch of reasons why the Starks and the Lannisters, again, it's not one reason, ain't even two reasons by the end mm. of it, right? There's so many reasons these people don't trust each other there's a, a really great scene where joffrey's like do i have to marry her <laughs> and he's just like yeah and you do but if you want to fuck chambermaids you can fuck chambermaids like right. do whatever you want man but yeah. that that scene ends with a really important like uh you know we we're, we're kind to our friends and we're brutal to our enemies you know mm-hmm. sort of deal and then the, the, the line i believe is like so you agree the starks are the enemies so right. boom right there and, the mentality is already Cersei there. says uh, everybody that isn't us is the enemy right which is the entire philosophy of Cersei and by extension the Lannisters up to a point right and you understand uh, that more when you meet the dead right no no I mean I, I think it's a really important scene in general because it kind of it kind of um gets married with Littlefinger is more prominent in this episode than I remembered but um at some point, because again, there was that really badass knife that the assassin who tried to kill Bran, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the, Tyrion is is basically pointed out as a suspect by Littlefinger, right? Catelyn starts right. In, in Winterfell, or not Winterfell, but is in uh, King's, King's Landing, Landing for like yeah. no reason at all. Like, right. and Ned doesn't even know, right? That's like the best part about that shit. He thinks that she's like still in Winterfell. This is not like a 20 minute drive. This isn't down I-4, right. okay? Like this is mm-hmm. like thousands of miles <laughs> apparently, but all right. Um, so that happens, and then my point is this: uh, Littlefinger's like, "Oh, I lost this dagger in a bet to one Tyrion Lannister." So again, right. so Catelyn's many different like, reasons. Oh, shit, I'm gonna kill that little dude. Right. 
But again, like, so you understand why everyone's on edge about the other people, you know, like right. Catelyn has got firsthand proof that, well, maybe, yeah, someone tried to kill him. Certainly wasn't a peasant. Liza's whispering in her ear via Ravens being like, yo, these fuckers killed John Aaron. You know what I mean? Like there is credible reasons. I, I love that. Like, you know, there's a bunch of like incel motherfuckers who always want to question every decision a woman makes in a TV show. Mm-hmm. Like, whatever you can't do that with this because they they do a really good job making you understand like why as a parent you'd be like no fuck these people they try to kill my son like they just killed my brother like fully on her side and and that was again like you keep talking about magic tricks of the show like you start to see the plot taking shape at this point you start Mm -hmm. to see the conflicts that are brewing between the lannisters and the starks and at this point in the show i'm like oh yeah fuck yeah like they're gonna fuck up those lannisters i can't wait Right. And it's like, does not pan out that way at all. Yeah. It really dashes your dreams. Pretty. It really, really does. But like, that's something that this first season, that's why I asked you at the start, do you think it's a good contained story? It's because as a contained story for reasons we'll get into, I'm sorry, I keep saying that. Take a shot every time I do, you'll be dead. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, for reasons we can't get into, like this is a show and a story that is subverting your expectations in a really smart way at every turn. Take everything you know about how fantasy stories work or how medieval stories work. It's going to do the opposite of what you expect in a smart way. That's right. true to the characters. So well, anyways. No, yeah. no. I mean, that's, a, that's the larger point too, is that there's so many historical, uh, you know, I, I, like representative things like analogs. There's like real life counterparts to mm-hmm. a lot of the events that happen in this. And so it makes it a little bit more interesting too, if you kind of ground it in your own world to like, oh, that actually happened, you know? Yeah, yeah um, for sure. Okay, so quick points. Let's do some bullet points because, man, we're just getting so deep in this. Uh, Lord Snow. Lord Snow at the wall. I like that touch because Mm -hmm. he's a bastard to every other motherfucker. But at the wall, he's some uppity fucking lord. And I love (laughs) that, man. Right. Yeah, just like right away. And also something that I always forget is that his best friends at the wall want to kill him. Mm -hmm. Like in the same, in this episode, like they meet him and then they immediately want to kill him. And Tyrion like, somehow showing up in the eleventh yeah. hour is what being saves him. a goddamn like fucking beautiful bastard, you know, just walking kind of in and just being like, "Oh, all of you have very memorable faces, so memorable." Um, it's pretty great. It's uh, actually pretty good at uh, Dinklage, man. Well, I'm not even you. joking. No, I like remember how bad my Robert Baratheon was. That's how good <laughs> your Tyrion was. Man. Thanks, man. I usually get a lot of accents wrong on our podcast, so it's really nice of you. No, to you say really it. nailed this one. Um, Appreciate quick, it. Quickly, just want to say a couple more things. Scenes I really liked from it. Barristan Selby, like I said, gets introduced later, um, but he's introduced alongside uh, Jamie. And they mm-hmm. have that whole scene where they're talking about like, what was your first kill? You know what I mean? Yeah. They're going through yeah. the, like the war stories, or whatever. But I really like that Barristan Selby was present and fighting alongside Jamie, like mm-hmm. for his first and they, kill. And that's the first person you see Jamie respect aside that's from Cersei. Yeah, all yeah. the bullshit is gone in that scene because yeah. he doesn't even respect the king. Let's be perfectly yeah. clear about he that. He doesn't respect the king. He doesn't respect Ned Stark. But just as a pure warrior, right. as a swordsman, he respects this guy. That's a common yeah. theme. Uh, we will come back to that because there's a scene mm-hmm. that opens another episode later on that I'm in love right. with for the very same reason. Um, so. Only other thing I'll say about this episode, important development, Daenerys uh, finds out she's pregnant with right. Khal Drogo's child, which for the Dothraki is a huge, huge, huge fucking deal. Yeah. And also for the consequences of the story as well. Right. Because- well, I... I, well, yeah, that's absolutely important, but for for a character moment, I just want to say one more thing about the Jamie thing, which is not only was he kind of recounting his first kill, but the asshole that King Robert is yeah. then says, what was his words? 
Oh, he didn't say any words. I cut his head off. What about the Mad King then? You know, like right. kind of fucking twisting that. And he's and what we get is again very important to the mythology of the show. He had been saying the same thing for hours. Burn them yeah. all. Burn them all. Very important, I think. And it it's just like, completely shifts the power dynamic from the king to Jamie, and then he walks away, mic dropped, and it's right. so good and haunting. Right. And that's the first part where you're like, oh, okay, maybe Jamie, there's more to Jamie than we thought. Um, but then you forget that and are reminded later. Uh, right. You want to move uh, on to episode four? Very quickly, last couple things. Uh, Benjamin goes beyond the wall. Tyrion mm-hmm. pisses off the wall. I think right. that's an important. He gets his wish. Goddamn so, Lannisters get everything Checks it want. off the old bucket list. Uh, and last thing, the episode ends, and I fucking love this detail with, uh, and we must have, I must have missed the scene earlier, but there's this wonderful scene with Ned and Arya where he's like, one day you'll marry a lord and you'll be mm-hmm. rule kingdoms. And she's like, that's not me, man. Like, and yeah. again, they've done such a good job already in those first three episodes of being like, that isn't her. That's not what she's into. So right. what does Ned do being the best fucking dad ever? He's like, I'm going to teach you the dance. I'm going to teach you the fucking how to, how to actually sword right. fight. And, and gets her a... Uh, yo, yeah. Syria Pharrell. But one of the best parts of season one. He's uh, wonderful. Uh, why is he gone? <laughs> like, he's a big uh, He's so good. Um, doesn't that episode end with them fighting with wooden swords and Ned watching? Or is that a later episode? No, that's the episode. And that's why I wanted to talk okay. about. What a fucking phenomenal scene. Because he's yes. smiling at first. And very quickly, you see this. Uh, it, it creeps over him. It's not a yeah. change. It happens so so subtly and he's and just hear the sound stuff. effects of yeah. swords clashing together and it's Amazing. like it, it kind of introduces the idea of like ptsd to this Absolutely. universe That's what where I was like thinking. yeah it's these mythic warriors or whatever you don't get into things like ptsd and fantasy stories ever right so well, really I like that wonderful. scene because you can read it two ways. You can read it as like he comes to term with the shit that he's done, right? He mm-hmm. is haunted by war. Or does he see that this is how it ends for her? You know what I mean? Like there, there's a couple different ways to kind of like interpret I, that scene. I, I think he sees it in, in large part. And there are a couple ways that he's brought her into his world. And this is a sure. world he always wanted to protect her from, but it might be inevitable. Like I think it's a little bit of both. And it's just really great um, as a filmmaking and editing and sound combined into one thing really great way to end an episode it's episode four cripples bastards and broken things um i like this episode a lot um it kind of continued all the 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 momentum of episode three but but whitened the scope considerably um for instance this is the episode i think that started to sell me on the show um it wasn't any one specific thing it was just like where it started to cohere for me in a really like serious way right um well, this is the reason I like a lot of this because we, we hit all the, the actual beats and we'll get back to there in a minute. But the thing that I really like is uh, mythology-wise, Brand Dreams of the Three-Eyed Raven. That starts mm-hmm. the episode. So again, we are putting the mythology into place here. It, it's not like it was, It's you know, I, I, I don't want to be that guy who's like lost. They didn't know what they were doing. I, I think that's obvious. They didn't know what they were doing at this point, but they still right. sort of landed it kind of, you know what I mean? This is not right. that. This is no. like, they absolutely had everything there from the very beginning, you know, which is again, really impressive. Um, but we get first, not first appearance, but first real moment with uh, Theon Greyjoy, which mm. will go on to be an important character later on. But again, that dynamic is even interesting because right. Tyrion's being an asshole to him the whole time. <laughs> like, you right. know, it's just like he's making, everybody's favorite punching bag. Well, again, his story's really fucking sad. He was ki- essentially kidnapped at birth. I mean, there's a nicer right. way to say that, but he was taken away from his home as yeah. punishment for his father's sins, not his, by the way. Right. Um, and then is raised by Ned Stark, honorably sure, and was and was learned how to fight, but was much like John an outcast, which I think yeah. is an other. Always at arm's length up to a point. He's never really fully a Stark. Never um, really. 
And he also he he obviously has a complex about that. Like he knows he's closer than most people are to the Starks, but he'll never fully yeah. be a Stark, and that fucks with. Oh him. yeah, D- dude is um and like credit to Alfie Allen right out of the gate. Like he is clearly an insecure guy who's putting up a front right. every time he opens his mouth. But like you see the underlying uncertainty and sadness. He doesn't know what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Like when he commits to something, he's just going all in on it because like he thinks that's how you make a decision. It's great. Yeah, no, I mean that's subtle act. There's subtle choices like that for all the acting is kind of what sets this little show apart. But mm-hmm. um, other other thing, first appearance of our boy Hodor. All right, like that Hodor. fucking walking tragedy. You know, <laughs> oh, Hodor no. is the equivalent to buying a dog. Like you know how this is going to end, right? Right. It doesn't stop you because he's so cute and cuddly. Like because this is when uh, and Tyrion makes the saddle for Bran right. to be able to ride a horse, and Hodor is there carrying him around, right. saying nothing but Hodor. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, I, you know, so we get those people. They're important to the story. Uh, we cut back to Dorne, or not Dorne, we cut back to the East and we see Viserys. It's so interesting. Again, I forgot he was even in this, but the amount of time they give him in this fucking early season mm. is crazy. Oh, because, when he's like in the bathtub with the prostitute? Well, because it almost seems like they're giving him this time because he's going to be around forever. <laughs> like, right. otherwise, why would he be there? And I guess, like, the answer to that is, like, well, you still want to give him the proper time to be an asshole. You know what I mean? Right. And also, like, it's uh, playing in the show's trademark sex position um, thing, too. It's two people banging or doing sex stuff while dropping some exposition. Yeah, the only thing I really took away from that scene is there's a whole scene where he's telling her the names of dragons and she's getting, Mm -hmm. like, fucking, like, turned on with each name of the dragons. But they all, but they, yeah, they all just sound like fucking erectile (laughs) dysfunction pills or allergy pills. Like, I'm sitting here being like, I can't take this shit seriously. Like, how is she getting fucking turned on by this? But hey, different world, different strokes for different folks, eh? Man, <laughs> got nothing on it, man. Um, we cut to the wall, uh, and what I like about this is we kind of see John reveal himself. So one uh, important thing: first appearance of um, Samuel Tarley, right? Samuel Tarley, exactly. Yeah, our Path- resident neckbeard, pathetic as good boy. you might have remembered. Just as pathetic as you might have remembered. In case you forgot, oh, just like God. at every fucking. available turn, they just embarrass him. It's just nothing but like cringe comedy with that guy. Right. But it's endearing too. Yeah, because he means well. Well, I like that it shows John being John, which again, much like his father, a little too moral and a little too honor bound. But the Night's Watch, in his defense, the way it's supposed to be, should mm-hmm. be maybe that last beautiful honor bound society. Right. That's what it's supposed to be. So you kind of understand that, but it puts him at um at odds with uh, Alistair Thorne, who's mm-hmm. like trying to just beat the shit out of Sam because he can. I guess in his mind, he's trying right. to toughen him up, make him a warrior, but that's not. No amount of work is going to make Sam into a fucking war. No. <laughs> John realizes this very quickly. It does the humane thing, which is, you know, you put a dog down. So he's just like, hey, we're not going to hurt him. Um, right. And that causes a whole thing. And then all of his friends are assholes, yeah. which brings one of my favorite scenes ever because I like, I, I, it reminded me of Full Metal Jacket. Hmm. So he gets most of the people to be like on board with like, we don't fuck with Sam. There's that one asshole who doesn't do it, right? It's Rast, right? Right. Yeah. Rast, yeah. fucking douchebag. And so what does he do? I thought Full Metal Jacket, like, you know, they, back in the day, they would just put soap bars and towels and beat the they shit beat out the of you. Shit out of you. They can't do that anymore. They couldn't do no. that back then. No towel bars, no towels even. Right. So Probably no they soap. Do, they just got fucking. <laughs> dire wolves <laughs> right above you and threaten to kill you and i'm like that is the most metal fucking shit i've ever seen in my right. life right love That's so good but also so shows good. that that john has the capacity to be kind of a you know 
uh, I don't say severe, but like can be harsh when he needs to be harsh, can be scary when it when he's called upon. And mm-hmm. that's a good character trait. So you're starting to see him. Honestly, he's not he's not great. I'm not saying he is, but even from episode one to episode four, Kit Harrington has like become a better version of that character already. Right. No, he has. And I, I think that the arc of the character is this person who got into the, this for the wrong reasons. Right. And the whole arc for him is about becoming the man that he needs to be to take on this conflict or this life or whatever. Right. Um, it's him like growing as a leader and as uh, a better version, I think, of Ned Stark. Because I think that there is a marked difference between Jon Snow and Ned Stark. Ned, Jon Snow fucks up a lot. Right. He makes some morally dubious decisions in terms of alliances or uh, breaking codes or whatever. But it makes him a better person right. by the end. Um, yeah, no, like John ends up being going from like on a first watch, the most boring character to me to one of the more interesting. Well, by the structure of the story, they kind of had to get to him eventually. You know what yeah. I mean? But. Um, but no, I'm, I mean, I'm glad that we're both on the same page, at least that. I'm not saying he's like amazing, but he certainly yeah. does. He's like the rock, man. He shows up, he says his lines with good diction. Like, right. Well, you have done. to understand, like, the only thing I'd seen Kit Harrington in before this was a movie called Silent Hill Revelations. Oh, um, and it was like the worst fucking thing I've ever seen in a theater. Right. Um, and he's terrible. And it's just so bad. And I was like, this fucker's in this show too. Right. Fuck. Well, he really cashed in on the Game of Thrones fame by doing like Pompeii or something. Yeah. Which is just like, just like a movie. any movie, I don't have to change my hair. <laughs> um, all right. So let's, let's, let's keep it moving. Uh, I wrote down here, Ned starts to unravel the conspiracy because that is largely what's happening in King's Landing for him. The more right. he's around, the more he's just talking to people. He is, he's, he's getting a, better part of the story granted it's what people certain people want him to know is is how he's forming his whole opinion on this shit to begin with because i think this is the first time the little finger's like you shouldn't trust me (laughs) like a recurring theme for that motherfucker says it so many times yeah again foreshadowing now we know at the time we're just like (laughs) look he's being honest about being dishonest you gotta appreciate that honesty you know what i mean right not pan out for like i trust that guy more than anybody just because he's saying that it's like no no don't trust him (laughs) But yeah, so like Ned's getting some knowledge. That's good. You know, everything's kind of coming into play. And again, mm-hmm. slow moving parts of the King's Landing story because it really is just about Ned fully understanding the, like, the depth and severity yeah. of this situation that he's in. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No, he knows great. pretty quickly. No. He knows pretty quickly that things are fucking bad. Um, well, what, what that yeah. tells you and like him, is this the episode where he fully uncovers the, uh, okay. Okay, but he's starting to. Um, But the fact that there's something to uncover and that he uncovers it so quickly doesn't, it tells you not that he's an expert sleuth investigator. It tells you that he's unturning stones that people know not to unturn. Right. Yeah, he's not like, fucking Batman, all right? Right. <laughs> not Columbo, if anyone remembers Columbo. Like, this, this isn't like a deep mystery. This is uh, something that he is too honor-bound and too right. stubborn and too pick-headed to know, I shouldn't fuck with this right now. It is true. Can I just point something out going forward a little bit in time? It's like, doesn't, isn't it like just an inside joke that everyone knows that Cersei mm-hmm. and fucking... Yeah. So why is it a fucking mystery? Like, that's my whole point of that. You know, like even the commoners know. So how do right. you know, man? Well, I, I think that like people might write it off too as like, oh, it's just like a thing oh, that commoners, the commoners yeah. say. Um, but like even, up rumors. Yeah, like even Tywin is aware of the rumors, but that's all he 
thinks of them as or doesn't want to think of them as true. Right. But it's it's there for anybody who wants to find it. And for the point sure. is nobody wants to find it but Ned Stark. Um, back in the East, Khaleesi mm-hmm. has her whole I am the Khaleesi moment. Okay. Where she like, doesn't she like hit her fucking brother? Yeah, well, he tries to like fucking get her because he's just yeah. an impatient guy. Like this motherfucker was never going to rule. Let's be yeah. honest. Like he's, this guy's a fucking tag along motherfucker. They like Jory even says like, "Hey, you can go uh, back to that dude's palace and yeah. chill." And he's he's like, "No, I want to be um, here. I want so, like, the army I was promised." Yeah, yeah. Fucking, just so that's such, such a piece of shit. I mean, he really is just such a representation of all entitled motherfuckers not and i'm not even i'm mm-hmm. not talking about anything specifically i just mean like the idea of class and status like this guy literally thinks he's better than other people right and it's weird like think about your situation all of your family was killed and you were banished to the corners of the world like why do you think you're better than people in this situation right it's fucking crazy to me i'm so glad Ugh, anyway all right sorry I just, <laughs> the guy pisses me off more than any other character in season one um but i think that's an important scene because you see her kind of getting that whole thing like you you are not a fucking dragon like that's that's the other thing that we kind of glanced over is the amount of like i am the dragon you don't want to awaken the dragon (laughs) but again multiple scenes yeah right yeah the targaryens uh just for context again are the only family who was ever able to have like this almost psychic connection with dragons are the only ones who were able to tame them and the they used that power to take over the seven kingdoms centuries ago right. um so he keeps being all like i'm the fucking dragon and i'm the last dragon she's like no you're not yeah i don't get burned by hot stuff right at all and they show you that at a couple all. times so you know kind of what's up which is yeah. which is a, a really good touch uh a couple more things and this is where i really love this episode because i think this mm-hmm. is you're right the back half of this is where it becomes game of thrones right. um a couple things so I want to talk about the fact that there's like a joust going on, but it's not the joust for the hand of the king. That's a later episode. But this is just like, hey, we're hanging out. Let's joust. And you got like the king there and Cersei's there and and fucking uh, Joffrey's giving her the cold shoulder. Sansa tries to smile at him, looks the other way. Mm -hmm. But we get the introduction of Littlefinger and he meets the Stark sisters for the first time. Which I really like, by the way, as a, you know, not to spoil what's going ahead too much, but like in terms of characters' endings, I'm like, okay. Even though mm-hmm. that was a piece of shit subplot later on, right? Cyclically, you're like, well, yeah. the first time they meet, that makes sense. But before these kids know any better, not to talk to this right. awful man, yeah. But no, but it's great. That scene gives us the oh, have you ever heard the story of the hound in the mountain? Which is right. like, oh, man, I love this story. And this is one of those great, like, yeah, great things. delivery by Aiden Gill in there too, um, yeah. and just like gives you this really tragic uh, backstory to this uh, background goon character. Right. This this character, the Hound, who we haven't talked about, who's like just basically fucking standing around watching Tyrion slap Joffrey and, and just saying some one-liners. But uh, yeah, yeah, no, really great moment there. Um, I really like all the tournament stuff um, in this season. It's yeah. fucking fantastic. Well, yeah, the next episode really is the episode. Um, and yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll definitely get into that. But so um, I just definitely wanted to give some love to that because one, you see the mountain is the mountain and you get mm-hmm. that little backstory. And also just... Uh, well, Gregor Clegane is the mountain. What's the hound's real name? Do you remember? Uh, fuck. I just always call him the hound, but he's got yeah, a name. It's fine. He's, um, we know uh, who other, he is. other Clegane. Well, but that's my thing. He's the hound. He's dehumanized. Joffrey calls him the dog. My dog. Mm-hmm. Did my dog frighten you sort of deal. And so it's just like, it's, it's, he's so dehumanized from the beginning. And that's another one of those just fucking treats that they give you in Game of Thrones. It's, if I'm being honest, in terms of subplots, yeah. like he might be one of my favorite characters in the entire show. Oh yeah, um, oh, he's wonderful. 
So I'm glad that they, you know, they start him off as this enigmatic kind of fucking figure. But even by the next episode, they give you a little bit more to work on, which I really like. Um, right. All right. So other big scene, fucking amazing, amazing, amazing scene. Ned versus Cersei when they have that conversation out in the garden. Mm-hmm. Fuck, man. Because again, a lot of similarities and a lot of differences. But the similarities, I think this is how you react. This is how you relate to people. I love my kids. You love your kids. Oh, that's great. (laughs) I was taught to kill my enemies. Me too, motherfucker. (laughs) Like there's just a pissing contest immediately. But here's my thing. I'm already forgetting this because Ned hasn't for, he hasn't uncovered the the records. He hasn't looked at the books and shit yet. What is he confronting her about here? What did he find out? I'm trying to remember what the like revelation is for this to begin with. Well, isn't the suspicion here... I'm actually not sure because I know one of the inciting incidents and I just rewatched this today, but I was kind of skipping through it. But one of, one of the big things was that Tyrion was now suspected of um, trying to make an attempt on Ned's son's life. Right. And that's why. uh, Well, that's what ends this episode. That's what ends the episode. So the next episode, that's when everyone knows, Oh, this thing happened. You know what I mean? Like the Ravens are going to tell everybody. So that's not what's happening here. I think that's Mm -hmm. my question. Actually, dude, you know what? It, it's not even that. It's um, remember Ned, like goes and finds uh Robert's bastard. What's his name? You know what I'm talking about the the the, the blacksmith guy. Yes, yes, dude. Because then he kind of figures that out. Like he even goes back out after that meeting and is just like, "What'd you find?" And he's like, "Robert's bastard." <laughs> you know, so like because because he finds out that John Aaron had talked to Gendry, and right. he was like, "Why would he be talking to a blacksmith?" Right. Yeah. Okay. You know another detail about that too, which I totally forgot, is that I don't know if it's in this episode or it might be in the next episode, but he's talking to Pycel, and Pycel says that he was reading the lineage book mm-hmm. and that the, the seed was strong, right? And you're like, yeah. well, why the fuck is he looking at this lineage book to begin with? You know what I mean? Right. Which is we don't come back to for a couple episodes. But yeah. Um, but yeah, so that so that's that's kind of like the big uh, holy shit thing of that where we're like, okay, so she's got a bastard, that's interesting. And then the episode right. actually ends with um having been rejected initially for hospitality in Winterfell, even though he came mm. bearing gifts for the paralyzed brand. Um yep. Tyrion, Tyrion is he's like too proud. He's like, fuck you, I'm gonna go hang out at a brothel. Gets yeah. to, gets there and then who's hanging out at the bottom part of the brothel except Catelyn Stark, who now thinks that again he is this uh the person who tried to right. kill her fucking son. And I love this scene by the way, because one it just re- made me remember that back in the day, like <laughs> If you were just friends with somebody and they were like, yo, we got to fight. You just, you had to fight. <laughs> That's all there was to it. Like she's right. like, yo, remember that one time, homie? Yeah. You're loyal. You loyal. Cool. Yeah. Motherfucker. <laughs> let's get this motherfucker. And the episode ends with Tyrion being like, you got cool friends, but what does this have to do with me? And she takes <laughs> them into completely custody. Completely confused. It's amazing. It's yeah. So it's great. Good. And this is where we get into the meat of like all the good shit in this season. Right. Like not that the previous stuff wasn't good because we've talked about a lot of really good, interesting stuff. Right. This is where like things kick into motion is like at the end of this episode. Right. I think that's where it really starts. Yeah. No, I mean, this really is like, because again, the Lannisters are put upon in their eyes. Like this is mm-hmm. the first act of aggression against them. Never mind that they fucking threw the kid out of the window. Okay. <laughs> this is when the war starts for them. Right. So they get really shitty about it. Um, and I, you know, that's, oh, man, and, and you're to right. To be clear about like the level of loyalty here, um, Tyrion is the black sheep of the family just for the fact that he's a dwarf. Mm-hmm. 
like he's not like a fucking Aryan, you know, blonde-haired, right. little perfect Ken doll or whatever. He's not a dwarf. fucking his sister, by the way. I want to throw yeah. that out there. <laughs> exactly. Of of the three, he's the one not fucking his sister. Right. Um. <laughs> so that's something. Uh. But and as we go forward, like one of the big things about his character is that he is this reject. He's like some something that got pulled out of the refuse pile. He just happens to be, um. A lawyer, you know, a member of this uh, proud, rich family. And that's the only right. thing that's kept him alive this long, and his yeah. sarcasm and alcoholism. <laughs> Mostly the sarcasm, the Matthew yeah. Perry sarcasm that Dinklage has. Right. For some reason. Well, he he's got the one-two punch of like uh, taking you down like five pegs verbally and then paying you money. <laughs> <laughs> like even you have to waste the words. He could have just paid you to shut the fuck up, but he chose right. to end you and then he gave you money. This is like remember in The Godfather where where he like offers the guy ten thousand dollars to release Johnny Fontaine's uh, yeah. contract and then he breaks his arm and still gives him a thousand dollars. It's like well, mm-hmm. you didn't need to pay you at that point, man. He already fucking right. hands you over a barrel. It's the most badass thing in the entire world. He uses his wealth for good somehow. I mean, mostly yeah. prostitutes, but also <laughs> fuck use the people, and I love it. Um, fantastic episode five uh listen the titles are always very descriptive of kind of what you're going to see leading up to something uh the wolf and the lion we know oh, those stigils you know we know we yeah. know who that represents in this world because um, i want to say that listen if i wasn't completely hooked which i think i was already but if i this wasn't point. this is the fucking episode like uh, episode five has pretty much everything you could possibly want in an episode and mm-hmm. i i marked from the very beginning the scene opens and i told you we'd get back to this moment about respect mutual admiration for great warriors honor um, it starts with uh, Barristan Selby and uh, Ned Stark reminiscing about the time that they like, oh, I'm so glad I never fought you on the fucking battlefield, man. You know, right. I mean? like this idea that like you were a great warrior. And uh, I know that anyone who was trained by, you know, your father was also a great honorable warrior. Cause that's the other underlying thing is like Ned Stark was not uh, victimless in the mm-hmm. overthrowing of the Mad King. Like his brother and his father fucking burned to death right right yeah the mad king literally burned his brother and his father in the throne room right right in front of them with wildfire yeah it's fucked up but it's not not great (laughs) immediately when that comes up ned tries to change the subject he doesn't want to think about that like again he's too honorable to even grieve about some shit that's perfectly reasonable to be grieving about you know what i mean Mm -hmm. but in that scene i just love it there's so much mutual respect between them you realize that like because I think Barristan somebody's like, even like I served another king. And that doesn't matter. You kind of understand that they see through that bullshit. Because right. again, the whole problem in the next episode, I think that where this gets revealed. But the idea of the purity of the lineage is so bullshit anyway. Mm-hmm. What claim did Robert have to that throne before he decided just that he was going to overthrow the Mad King? Like none. He didn't. Yeah. It's the point. It's just, just so fucking, took fucking it. crazy yeah. to me. That, so now like, the idea of like we have to follow process and law no, about bullshit. who sits on the throne. No. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I just, I fucking adored that scene. And then again, the big, uh, like wraparound for what's happening in this episode is that now that Ned Stark has become hand of the King, they are doing a big, uh, namesake joust festival sort of right. deal. So we get and Ned doesn't joust. want this. And he's like, we can't afford this. And they're like, well, we're doing it anyway, fucker. So <laughs> that's another joke that happens a lot more in later seasons with the idea that everyone's like, we can't afford this. And like, just right. like a Lannister basically like writing a check, the equivalent <laughs> to writing a check on the spot. <laughs> which i love i think that's yeah. amazing um okay so we have some joust scenes we get uh which i i do like some stuff here again Littlefinger knows everything 
But beyond that, it seems like people being gay, like being homosexuals in the fucking guise of the show is not a secret to anyone, really. Because there's that mm. scene during the joust, because again, uh, this is the introduction of Sir Loris Tyrell, by the way. So yeah. he's jousting and shit. And he's real cool doing stuff. And uh, mm-hmm. he's wearing all this fancy like armor with the flowers right. on it and stuff. And Sansa wants to fuck that guy yeah. because she ain't getting she's play like, from Joffrey. Like, but yeah, you know, Joffrey's is, being a little baby bitch. Well, there's a scene where like he's gloating and Renly is talking shit, and uh, he basically is like, "Gay, you're gay." Like that's what Littlefinger does. Like right. out in the open, everyone's hearing it, and Renly doesn't combat it. He just like sheepishly is like, "Oh," just oh, sits down. Shit. <laughs> but um, the joust is like again such an interesting I, one. I like it because it shows like what people did for entertainment back in the day. Because that's always mm-hmm. like this thing that's interesting to me. Like, what do people do? so many hours in a day people were fucking with like balls and hoops and sticks and shit but like this was they get to watch senseless violence so it makes a little (laughs) bit more sense um this also has the holy shit scene of the mountain being bested at jousting and then just beheading a horse because he could Because his horse fucking failed him. Yeah. Oh man, I saw uh, Martin. I did. I did a little. I did a small recap of this from the other network that I'm on. But Martin said like that was the moment where he was hooked. <laughs> like where he was like, listen, there's no turning back now. Horse murder <laughs> yeah, though. Yeah, Forget all the political intrigue. <laughs> the minute glue sticks were introduced to the plot, I was in. All right. God damn it. Uh, but I mean, it, he's, he's not wrong, man. That moment's like, holy shit. It what? does make you realize like the scale of the mountain because mm. we know he's a big guy. But the, le- the level of strength to not only just wield a broadsword, but right. to fucking like cut off a horse's head in well, one stroke. Motherfuck the mountain, even like ice, right? Isn't that the name yeah. of Ned Stark's sword? Mm-hmm. Like when he, f- first of all, wolf sheath, metal as fuck. Number two, it's so big. Like yeah. it's so big. How heavy is that fucking sword? Like it's, it's incredible, man. Yeah. Oh, loved it. Um, all right. Other, other noticeable things. Uh, we get the hound versus mountain fight, which up until this point, yeah, there was some interesting stuff going on, but yo, this was that mm. moment where suddenly right. I was like, oh shit, oh, what's shit. gonna happen? But it yeah, also gives you, you already dirt. have it established, like their little history right. and everything too. So you're like, whoa, okay. The great part about that though is we get some more character traits in as much that like they're fighting, they're fighting. And it's not even that the Hound wants to save Sir Loris Tyrell, by the mm-hmm. way. It's not about that. It's just about like he got to do something here and they're right. fighting. And the minute that King Robert, who just lets this go on for a little too long, in my opinion, like I'm sure he was like, wait, wait, wait. wait. Do you think the, the synapses haven't fired yet? He's just so drunk that like that electrical signal is just working its way through his brain. He's drooling a little bit. Five minutes later, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah dude i mean it, it's a scene where i'm sitting here being like yo you're just letting this go on and i just assumed it was like a parent looking at their child playing with a paper clip and a an electrical outlet just yeah, like you're like oh let's see let's, let's see how this, see how plays, this out. plays out yeah exactly <laughs> so uh yeah no i i thought that scene's amazing and then as soon as he's like stop in the name of your king like fucking how yeah. immediately gets just immediately it. goes to the ground yeah so awesome also the trajectory of that blade would have been decapitated but he took a knee all right mm-hmm. he kaepernick the shit out of that situation and he ended up being okay and that's all that he happened. was kaepernick before kaepernick right like, he took a fucking stand you, you don't have to agree with him all right but you have to know he took a knee so we didn't have to all right, right? fucking hound what a hero rosa parks martin luther king hound. the hound <laughs> uh, oh that's uh, the worst thing we've said this I, week <laughs> i debate that um first appearance of Bronn. This is important because, one, we love Bronn, a character favorite, but um, 
she decides Catelyn now having Tyrion uh, in, in bondage and is like, we're going to take you to fucking eerie man we're going to the veil you're gonna see my sister thinking that she's gonna get support no the fuck you isn't you weren't gonna get support here i don't know why that was a fucking whatever but the point yeah. is we we see Bronn, and i think they do some kind of line to kind of initially or it's not that it's Tyrion putting in the head of anyone who's listening like you know us lannisters man we always pay our fucking debts we got a lot of money i'm sure we'd pay handsomely right. for someone to get me out of this predicament you know what mm-hmm. i mean and the only person who's listening to him is Braun a little bit. <laughs> like, right. he's, he's like, like, all right, hmm. stow this away um, for later use. And if I'm remembering correctly, is this when they get attacked on the road or is that after the So it's trial? This is where it happens, basically. Yeah. So they're okay. on their way to the Vale. They get attacked by the Stone Tribes, right? Who are mm-hmm. coming over and fucking with shit. And again, shows you who they are as people. Tyrion could run, doesn't run, saves right. Catelyn. Buys him no mm-hmm. favor. <laughs> and also, also kills a man for the first time. Right. With a shield. Yeah. That was he just keeps metal. going at that guy's head. Well, he's little. You know, you got a double tap. And in this <laughs> case, it's like a, like a quadruple tap. You know what I mean? You got to make yeah. sure you get the job done. Um, but he gets the job done in this situation. Right. Everything's cool. But it doesn't buy him favor. He's immediately put back into bondage, which I'm just like, oh, shit. Yeah. They take him to the veil. The veil's not happy to see them. We get the introduction right. of Tit Sucker. That's what I call him. This motherfucker. Uh, oh, little, little Tit Sucker. Uh, yeah, so you you have nothing preparing you for the fact that Liza Aaron, the recently <laughs> widowed woman of You're right. the inciting like, incident of the whole series. This, this is bigger than anything that's happened to this point of the show. Completely off the fucking reservation. Right. Um and is still breastfeeding her now what like how old is this kid like 7 10, 8 11? 10 oh, 11 yeah, old man <laughs> yeah still breastfeeding her like 11 year old son who's clearly stunted uh, emotionally psychologically right yeah i mean stunted <laughs> in every way except growth like actual right. growing <laughs> um big episode Big part yes. of this episode. Sorry, because there's so much. So you got to parse it the right way. Mm. Barris and Ned have a conversation. This is when you realize that John Aaron asked a little too many questions. Again, like you said, it's not even about uh, being the greatest detective in the world. It's just being right. like halfway um, like aware and then asking yeah. any questions. <laughs> that was Use, using your two eyes and going, wait a minute. That's all it takes right. to uncover this mystery. Yeah, But I like it because it kind of, and again, you don't know in this moment because he's talking to Littlefinger. Littlefinger's giving him some advice. Talking to mm-hmm. Varys. Varys is giving him some advice. But I don't know about you and maybe we have the bias of knowing what happens later on and kind of knowing who Varys is as a character. But I'm, I actually believed Varys in this situation because it's weird. He doesn't have a reason like these other fuckers to lie. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? Like he's yeah. not in that same game. Like yeah, of course he wants to stay alive. He wants to prosper. But he's not in this bullshit of the throne. You know what I mean? Like he really is even in that moment, Varys is a guy who's doing right by the realm, which is what I love the right. most about his character. Well, that's the thing about Varys is it's not so much he's out for his own personal gain. He is looking at the big picture, and if the big picture needs you gone, it doesn't matter how much he likes you or how good a person you are, like, you're gone um, because it's for the good of the realm. Right. So, like, that, that's where, like, the duplicitousness of him comes in, but he's by no means morally on the scale of Baelish or Pycelle. Right. I believe it's this episode where you see uh, Varys talking to um, God. No, not, but well, you get that scene too, which is wonderful, but no, it's later on. Arya is like hiding in the fucking caves or whatever. Um, Who's the guy? Who's the British guy? Oh my God. He's, he's with um, Danny in the very beginning, the bearded dude. 
Oh yeah, um, uh, Alorio or something yeah. like that. I'm trying to remember his real name. He's the guy who had a Friday night show on the BBC. He's like a really famous British guy. I think he was also yeah. in Beef for Vendetta or something. But <clears throat> uh, that scene where it's like, well, one hand can die. Why not another? And he's like, this hand is not that hand. <laughs> you know, like that. Back and forth. <laughs> yeah. But again, it's it shows us the audience. Like, oh wait, but that's the guy who was with Danny and. And why is he with Varys in this episode? And so you start to realize that Varys really does, like, you know, intelligence is his game. My spiders are everywhere, as he says. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So right. um, really like that. And then you do have that little finger Varys moment, which, again, anytime those two are just in a room together, it's going to be the mm-hmm. best part of the show. It's just I mean. a whole lot of razzle-dazzle men. <laughs> well, it's just say? people compensating differently. <laughs> it's like people who've got, right. who've got something to prove, and they're like, I'm not going to be bested by a commoner. Like, thinking, not realizing that they're commoners themselves, that it's just amazing to me. No, it's fantastic. Um, let's see what else happens in this fucking episode. Uh, well, a lot. Well, my a favorite lot. part. Can I talk about my favorite part of it, which is the no, revelation? I won't allow it. I won't allow it. <laughs> uh, the revelation that, uh, holy shit, Robert's coming to a small council meeting? This has got to be important. And so what do we find out in this moment? We find out that uh, the Danny bitch is fucking pregnant and she's got to be killed, all right? That Targaryen scum. Because she's got a Dothraki horde at her back. I told you this was going to happen, Ned. I told you and you didn't listen. And now we're in this situation and he orders her to be killed. And Mm -hmm. Ned, the honorable man that he is, is like, mother, fuck that, dude. Like, she may come over that, but that's a situation we will deal with when it happens. Like, Right, but I'm not not going to kill a pregnant girl can i just tell you the best line of the whole episode like the robin mm. i knew wouldn't tremble in the shadow of an infant and i was like holy right. shit and uh i'm done with you you know <laughs> like immediately loses his shit right. He's like i'll have you your head on a fucking spike and again we have these like really beautiful moments between those two beforehand that one lets you know how much they care about each other but also how difficult that scene has to be for ned to straight up Mm -hmm. go against him even though it's not difficult at all because it's against his ethics of honor but at the same time that like robert obviously loves ned but he is just such a quick to anger kind of guy so he immediately goes to beheading his fucking best friend you know well here's where on rewatch you know the first time you see it you say oh ned is being so forthright and honorable isn't that so admirable rewatching it now it's like this guy knows his friend. He knows how his friend is going to react, but he can't even bring himself to play the game a little bit right. and get what he wants in a different way. Like he can't even attempt manipulation or appealing to reason or anything. It's him stamping his foot on the floor and saying no full stop. Right. And it's like, I don't know. The more I watch it or like going back to it now, I get angrier watching Ned. Because there's so many points where he could have like changed things and chooses not to. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've said that too. Like even at the end, and we'll get into that specifically, when he knows what the hands are, he still refuses to play. <laughs> like yeah. what he can do to, to save himself. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. practically like handed to him on a silver platter a couple right. times and he just doesn't. Yeah. Um, my other favorite, absolute favorite part, and honestly, might be my favorite, favorite part of the whole episode, which is there is a very beautiful, honest conversation between, uh, King Robert and Cersei. Cersei, which is not in the books, by the way. Oh, it is an invention of the show. That is so fucking perfect. Then Mm -hmm. those guys every now and then really will give you something that's worthwhile as an addition. Yeah, for sure. Um, but that scene really spoke to me in a lot of ways because there's just the, you know, he's talking about like, did you ever love me? Like, no, but yeah. Was there ever a moment? And he goes, no, 
No, yeah. but beyond that, dude, the part where he's like, and the worst part is I don't even remember her face. I don't even remember yeah. what she looks like. And like. I just know she was the one thing I ever wanted, and now she's gone. Jesus yeah. Christ. And, but how beautiful is that moment? I also think that's the moment that uh, King Robert is signing his death warrant a little bit, if I'm being mm. completely honest. Because it's not that like Cersei is a kind person or even like a loving mothering type of person even though she loves her kids it's just i think in that moment she's still kind of like weighing the fact that well, we got married a long time ago like we were both kind of thrust into the circumstance but we have a kid and we have this this and that i think that's the confirmation where she's like okay well we can get rid of this motherfucker because yeah it's never meant because well, he him. he she asks him if there was ever a moment he says no and he says does that make you feel better or worse and she says it doesn't make me feel anything at all right but, oh, it's so sad. Yeah. Well, because there's that part in that scene where she's like, "I never asked because I wanted to. I, I thought if I did, if I if I, I would if breathe I didn't life talk, into her. Yeah, exactly. Because there there was a moment for her where she was trying, where she committed to this fully. Because like Robert wasn't always like this fat drunk. Like he was like this titan. Like he was peak physical condition, could wield a hammer and just fuck people up. Right. Like classically handsome, apparently, and everything. Like so, he had it all. And then just turned into this shadow of himself. I mean, it's incredibly sad, man. It's mm-hmm. like so fucking sad. Um, well, this brings us to the the kind of the end of the episode, man, which is uh, this big confrontation between Jamie and Ned. And I remember the first right. time I watched this, I was like really shook by it because I'm like, this seems really definitive and like... You know, I thought something bad. I thought literally one of those guys was not walking away from this. And again, I read the first two books well after I had watched the first four seasons. So it's not like Mm -hmm. I had any kind of, you know, roadmap to go on. But this confrontation happens. And it's like, you can't kill me. I'm the hand of the king. And Jamie's like, true. Uh, I can kill your men, though. And just slaughtering all these fucking people. And you're like, oh, my God. And again, the inciting incidents of this is Liza is or or, or Tyrion is now in the veil with Liza. We right. know that that they're going to be like a trial by combat, or at the very least, he's being held prisoner against his will, and it's a whole fucking ordeal. So Jamie ain't having that. Basically, says get your woman in order, and mm-hmm. then a skirmish breaks out, dude. This ends the episode. It ends the episode with this one on one. Jamie and Ned are going to finally get at it. Jamie can be like, "You think I'm dishonorable? Go suck a dick. I'll kill you." And <laughs> that's exactly that's actual he dialogue. Says that. yeah. Well, it's subtext, but he says it at his mind. Uh, but then they're about to get at it, and a fucking spear to the back of his leg, and Ned Stark, debilitated, kneeling on the floor, and then passes out from one of Jamie's soldiers, from one of the Kingsguard, right. by the way. Yeah. So yeah, J- yeah. Jamie and Ned are going at it one on one, and like Jamie, like immediately, like knocks out this fucker who just speared net in the back of the leg right that wasn't that wasn't how this fight was supposed to go well you know again you asked me and i think this might be a really good place to a, a good point in the conversation to maybe talk about this and then end this for now but it's mm-hmm. like you asked me if this was a contained story if if you felt like this could have been a one-off and i would say this this is 10 episodes this is the fifth episode we have had to have crossed a threshold if you're going by your campbell here this mm-hmm. most certainly hits that note. Like he is yeah. now in an unfamiliar place. He beyond that, he's now physically hurt. He is, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? He's at his lowest point essentially. This is the break of a or part one and part two of this story. It's actually right. incredibly fitting that this incident, which didn't happen, I know I don't think this is like the fifth uh, chapter obviously or whatever the fifth uh, arc of the of the book itself it's the fact that this this was adapted and still the halfway point absolutely feels like the halfway point i think right. it just shows that it's like really fucking well done when they adapted this mm-hmm. 
Yeah, no, like things are definitely kind of falling in line with the, that story structure. Um, and all that table setting is starting to pay off too, because you understand at this point, all of the character dynamics, there's no need for more exposition, at least between the main players, Lannisters right. and Starks. Um, one thing I did briefly want to say before we end this is uh, something that really struck me on this rewatch. And I've, re I've watched the show through a couple of times. Um, but something that really struck me is the later seasons, you could go an episode without seeing Daenerys. You could go an episode without seeing John or one of your main players. This first season, at least up until this episode, but I think all the way through almost, you spend time with just about everybody in every single episode, right. um, which is structurally interesting. And like, yeah, we have more stories going on now in the show. It's necessary to divide it up, but I thought it was kind of interesting that I hadn't noticed that before that you spend time with Daenerys, you spend time with Tyrion, you spend time with Catelyn. Right. Like they're, they're able to have everybody. those spinning plates for exactly. as long as they did. It's actually really impressive because you're right later on just pacing. I mean, like we can't, we can't possibly hit everybody's right. thing and yet they do it pretty effectively. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, I was really surprised watching this. And again, here's the thing, as much as I enjoyed the first half, second half of the season is so much better and but uh, obviously is standing on the shoulders of what the first half had to accomplish you know right but yeah um, like uh second half is like where all of this setup starts really paying off in a major way um and in sad ways right mm. um yeah i mean going back to it i kind of really love the first half of the season which i told you had always been a, a problematic part for me and even when i tell people to watch game of thrones i have like Really got to get past those first two apps, man, you know, but right. going back with the benefit of hindsight, I think that's the thing. Knowing what we know, it makes it so much more rewarding. Starting yeah. that show still has to be rough for people, but you know, it's, it's definitely well worth it. Yeah. If by some freak chance you have never seen this show before, you're just now watching it. Um, enjoy these episodes, these moments of quiet and peace. Um, right. And I'm not just saying that because the show gets traumatic or eventful or whatever, but it, the incident that occurs or the incidents that occur after this point in the show, because this is really a line of demarcation, mm -hmm. it doesn't really slow down much after this. Like it's nothing but just fucking movement. Right. So it's kind of really nice to just spend time with characters where there is no rush timetable. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm really excited. I also did not think we would put two hours into five episodes of Game <laughs> of Thrones. <laughs> I did not either. I was like, maybe we'll get an hour out of this for all uh, 10. We I went into this you. hoping to do all 10, and uh, here we are. Well, you I, did. You warned we, me. We I learned something. <laughs> we learned something. Um, but listen, as far as an inaugural episode, like we will come back and we'll do part two, and we'll tackle mm -hmm. episode six through 10. Really want to talk about episode six, which is called The Golden Crown. I think it's also a turning point in a lot of the story. Oh, yeah. Um, so I'm very excited about it. But as far as first episodes, man, I'm really proud of this inaugural episode, this shit of movies and yeah. shit. How do you yeah. feel? I think that um, in terms of doing a deep dive, this was definitely that. Like we went episode by episode, talked about larger. Th yeah, no, like all around couldn't be happier with it. Right. Well, that's great. I mean, I would just say if there's anyone listening who wants to kind of like either ask questions or give us a comment, you can absolutely do that. We would love for you to do that. You can uh, send emails to submissions at a little fire burning. Um, me and Max both have access to that. So we would love to have any of your mm -hmm. input. But also if you want us to handle it uh, in a semi-different way, what I liked about this format was that it allowed us to be very factual about what happened. But again, we got to make jokes about Martin Luther King and the Hound. So for me, it's a perfect situation. Um, and I would like to keep that up in the future if we can. So with yeah, that being same. said, uh, thank you, Max, for giving me some time talking some thrones. Hey, thank you, Christian. I appreciate you, man. We'll see you next week. Bye.